You, you want to see something really scary? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 190 of the Grave Plot Podcast. I'm Skeletoni. I'm Taylor of Terror. This is a very special episode, kids. You know, when you're a kid and you, you're watching CBS after school and they say this is a very special episode of Blossom. <laughs> Tonight on a very special episode. Uh, this is one of those times, except we're not talking about teen pregnancy. We're talking about drugs. <laughs> we are talking about some of the greatest films ever made. Not necessarily horror, per se. Horror but adjacent. Horror adjacent, sure. There, There's uh, supernatural. Yeah. There's ghosts in it. And if you want to argue with us about it, uh, fuck off. Fuck it's you. our show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be talking about not just Ghostbusters, not just Ghostbusters 2, but also the brand new Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, anyway, but uh, I'm Skeletoni. Yeah, we, we did that. We did that? Yeah. I, I know we said uh, hi. This is the Grave Plot <laughs> Podcast, but did, I didn't know we... Uh... Tony just woke up, guys. <laughs> I did. Fucking Christ, man. I'm so out of it today. Uh, I did this fun thing last night where uh, the kid kept waking up, and he, he's still sleeping in our room, um, which is <laughs> it's going to change soon, God damn it. Um, but he woke up at like three in the morning and not just like bawling like a newborn would, but just sitting there fussing and making noise woke both of us up. And like my wife, she like tried to get him to go to sleep and he did for, I think probably like 10 minutes and then woke up again. And like, she was trying to get him to go to sleep again and was just not getting anywhere. So finally I just got up. I took him like a thief in the night and took him out to the living room. Uh, and we, I just like held him and slept on the couch. Like he, I, like I did when he was a fucking newborn because he's dealing with this six month sleep regression thing. And I'm pretty sure he's also teething. Mm. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. And I just, I just wanted to sleep so bad, <laughs> which I did. Cause you know, when we went out there, he actually slept for the most part. Uh, and but it's like for me, it's like when you when you doze off, and then somebody wakes you up. That's kind of what it was like for me for like the next four hours. Yeah, um, not really restful sleep. <laughs> not that REM sleep. No, yeah. And it's like I don't sleep well to begin with. Um, I just I never have like as far as I can remember. I, I I've never been a, like a heavy sleeper. Uh, things wake me up, like I, I wake up at the drop of a pin, um, 
And when, when I wake up, I have a really hard time falling back to sleep. So that's always been an issue for me. So yeah, last night was rough and now I'm so fucking out of it. And yeah, I, I was sitting on the couch cause I knew you and my wife were going to get here roughly the same time. Probably you may even walk up to the door at the same time. I don't know. Um, so I'm just sitting there on the couch with the kid in my arms again. And I guess I dozed off because I woke up to the barking of dogs and my wife standing over me. I don't know if she was coming <laughs> to wake me up or had, she must have just let you in. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I was so confused. It's like the dogs are barking. My stand, my wife is standing over me. And it's like things are like. I'm uh, just watching you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like things are occurring to me like slowly. It's like. Wake up, like, what the fuck are you doing here? It's like, oh, right, you live here. <laughs> um, and then it's like, why are the dogs barking? Who the hell Who the hell else is here? It's like, oh, right, Taylor's was coming. <laughs> so, yeah, that was weird. That was, what, 15 minutes ago? So, yeah, I'm still trying to get up to speed. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, yeah, so because we're going to be talking about three movies today, we're going to do short horror business, meaning we're doing... One story, so look forward to that. We got a a real-world horror story for you guys, but other than that, you're on your own. Right. Uh, Anyway, how's it going, Taylor? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Thanksgiving came and went. How was that? It was a fucking disaster. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just occurred to me that may be a sore subject for you. Um, I mean, you don't even know the half of it. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I didn't want to pry, so you're yeah, kind of I, brief with it. I haven't said this on the podcast before, but my dog has cancer. Uh, and we were supposed to go to my mom's for Thanksgiving. My mom lives down in Oregon. And uh, our dog on Tuesday night, her face swelled up really bad. And so we took her to the vet. They gave her like an emergency dose of chemotherapy. Uh, said, you know, it, it should start taken effect within 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Thanksgiving day, it was like, you know, those pictures of dogs that get stung by bees and their Mm -hmm. face, just that's what she looked like. Jesus. Uh, And at one point that night, it was probably around nine 30 that night. uh, She all of a sudden just like stands up off her bed and she's just like, (sighs) and we're just like, what the fuck is going on? She can't breathe. Her lungs are swelling or her throat is swelled shut. Like, so we like rushed her to the uh, emergency vet. Um, they gave her some antibiotics. He said, you know, she's still breathing. She's just very excitable about something. We don't really know what it is, but so they, you know, gave her a set of give. Um, <laughs> once she finally started calming down, we took her home. Uh, and then, I mean, after that, her face started to, to go down. And now we, we give her a sedative every night so she can sleep through the night. Um, but yeah, there was a uh, there was a time there where I thought that that was going to be my last night with my dog. Yeah, man, that's I, I like I told you, man. I've, I've I've been through it where I've lost many dogs in my life. I mean, because th- this is your first pet, really, isn't it? I mean, as an adult, you know. Did you have pet? I had dogs growing up? Yeah. Did you? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. I thought this was your first dog. Um, well, I mean, okay, well, yeah, in my lifetime, I've, I've, and I had the cat that peed in the toilet. 
Um, yeah, I've lost many dogs in my life just to old age or injury or whatever. And it's not, uh, it's not fun. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like she was diagnosed in May. So, you know, we kind of know that it's coming soon. Yeah. Uh, but it was just one of those things where it's like to all of a sudden be like, it's now it's like, I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, man. But luckily she seems to be doing a lot better. Uh, her face is pretty much back to normal. Her lymph nodes are still all swollen but that's i think that's just gonna be a thing now yeah but she seems to be doing better she's fucking medicated up to the gills but yeah i was i mean as long as she's comfortable i guess i always love when i go to the vet and they're like is she on any medication i'm like oh yes it's like here's a list all of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah especially around the holidays man that's like I mean, that's that's when our dog got injured, and yeah, it's you know it's 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 a time when you want to be able to you know breathe and rea- relax, and when you got stuff like that going on, it's just somehow it makes it more stressful. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness we didn't end up going to my mom's because then we would have been stuck in the middle of nowhere. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that she's at least comfortable right now, and yeah. Hope that uh, you know things go as well as I can. And um, you, how was your turkey day? Uh, good, better than that, I assume. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, we never really have like these extravagant Thanksgivings, sure. Um, but you know, because of the baby, it was kind of low key. Um, we always get together with, with, at least with my family. Um, sometimes we get together with the in-laws but it didn't happen this year that was the other thing was that since we decided the morning of not to go to my mom's we're like well now we need dinner plans yeah so cheese ended up like going to the grocery store and just buying a, like a ham and some uh some potatoes and biscuits and stuffing and mm-hmm. so we had you know a nice little mini feast yeah as long as you had something yeah um but yeah i mean yeah like i said got together at my sister's house and just uh, just my family. Uh, just had dinner and then came home. Most years we would um, go out. Like we'd go home from wherever we were and kind of settle for a bit. And then when all the Black Friday de- like sales would start, we'd go out. Not with any real intention of buying anything, just for something to do. Um, but so many places this year weren't open on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Which is no complaints for me. It's like it's good. I mean, not making your employees work on a holiday. That's so weird to me that you would do that for fun. If we were going out, like I would dread Black Friday shopping if I needed to get something. You're just like, oh yeah, I like to go out back and have somebody hit me in the nuts with a <laughs> wiffle ball bat for fun, you know? Well, I mean, honestly, when you're not going out there, when you're not trying to like. Oh, you know, find the new hot toy or, or or whatever. You know, you're trying to take advantage of a sale. Make sure you're getting it before everybody else does. When you're not doing that, it's much less stressful. The most stressful yeah, part is the crowds. Well, you'd think. I mean, especially me because I fucking hate crowds. I hate people. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the 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 worst part about it is um, traffic and parking. Oh, yeah. But once you get past that, for me at least, it's it's whatever. Maybe it's just because I've been 
my family, that's kind of been a tradition in the past, not on Thanksgiving, but on Black Friday. We just kind of go out and, you know, get coffee and walk around the mall and whatever. And it's like if it's like if we see like there's a nuts crowd in one store, it's like, eh, don't need to go in Fuck there. Fuck that store. Yeah. Um, but over like the last, it, we did that this year. Uh, we just, you know, put the baby in the stroller and, you know, we've got a mask mandate in the state. So it's, I'd say probably 99% of people are wearing masks. Um, which that boggles me is how you can have, you know, a place like a mall who has like huge liability in that kind of area where they don't have like a huge security staff walking around making sure people have their masks on. Yeah. Uh, just baffling to me. Especially the fuckers who like don't even have like the masks like pulled down or hanging off their ear or something. Just no mask. <laughs> it's insane. Fuckers. Anyway. But yeah, we, we just walked around the mall a couple for a couple hours on, on Friday. But that was a fucking fiasco just getting out of the house. I almost lost my motivation. Oh, here here's something. So, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of Tacoma, Tacoma's probably the second largest metropolitan area in the state. Everyone knows it from that song. Sure, yeah. Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma. Yeah. And uh, isn't it... Isn't that uh, in that Johnny Cash song, too? I've been everywhere, man. Oh, Probably. I mean, he says everywhere. So. Yeah, he's everywhere. He literally lists like every state in America, every <laughs> city. It's crazy. He's just like Mobile, Alabama, something, something, Tacoma, in, in Tacoma Washington, <laughs> fucking squim. Anyway. Uh, you guys would be shocked if you saw how squim is spelled. <laughs> um, the fuck is there an E in it? <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely the most challenging one, like, of all the weird places. That and Puyallup. Nobody can get Puyallup. Puyallup is, like, like, first time somebody told me how to pronounce Puyallup, it's like, oh, okay. But Squim, it's like, what? Yeah. Um, anyway, so we, usually what we do is we go to South Center, which is north of, north of me, or north of our house, uh, in, in Tequila, um, and that's just kind of like the the big mall in the area. It's where most people will go, so it's usually the most crowded. But it's just you know if you're if there's a store you want to go to, chances are it's probably there. We had a hell of a time getting out of the house when we finally did. We realized we forgot the baby's bottles at Uh-oh. home, so we came back. We were all the way up in fucking Des Moines at that that point. Oh jeez. So we came back and we were sitting in the driveway, and I'm like, "Do you even want to do this anymore?" <laughs> And she's like, yeah, might as well. Okay. So in my head, I'm like, all right, well, I don't really want to go all the way to South Center anymore. So let's go down to Tacoma, which is a little bit closer. Um, And again, this is on Friday. And, but as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I decide, okay, let's just go to South Center like we originally planned. Later that night, as we're getting ready for bed, I'm just kind of, scrolling through the news and see that there's a shooting at the Tacoma mall. Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh, and at that point they hadn't even found the shooter. Oh geez. Yeah. Um, isn't it lovely that those things can just like sneak by me? 
Like the fact that that's not huge news. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, another shooting in public. Oh, yeah, of course there was. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, the shooting was actually probably a couple hours after we would have left. So even if we had been there, we probably wouldn't have been in any immediate danger. But it's still, it's still just jarring. things, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just like, just that brief thought. It's like, no, nah, let's go to South Center. And it, look, if we would have left the house a couple hours later, yeah. we may have been there. But anyway. Wild. Weird, wild stuff. Uh, yep. So there's that. We had uh, quite quite the whack show last night. That's right. How'd, yeah. How'd that go? Uh, so, I mean, I'll try not to get too far into it for people who don't give a shit. But <laughs> uh, we have this wrestler named Chase James, who also runs a wrestling company in Spokane. And so before I could even start the show, he like gets in the ring and he's like, fuck this, fuck you, fuck Taylor, fuck Max, fuck Whack, fuck everybody in this building. This is kayfabe? Um, I don't know, because I was not told this was going to happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then like Max gets in the ring and we got to like pull them apart. And so finally, Max is like, you think you can do things better. You get four guys. I'll get four guys. We'll have a Survivor Series style match here tonight. Obviously, we didn't say Survivor Series for copyright reasons. Sure. Uh, and so then, and and oh, so Chase is like, fine. But if my team wins, I get control of without a cause. And uh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, so yeah, kayfabe. <laughs> And so his team ends up just like sweeping the whole match. Okay. For nothing. And so he's comes out and he's like, I'm the new owner of whack. And he like brings out this guy, Matt. And he's like, I'm going to be too busy running relentless in Spokane. I'm not going to have time. So this guy, Matt Beck is the new general manager without a cause. He's now in charge. And, uh, and that was kind of it. And like, (laughs) and you're sitting there like, yeah, I'm just like, I wasn't told any of this is going to happen. So do I still have a job? <laughs> and I still don't know. Like, we got another show on December 19th, and I don't know what's, like, if I need to show up. Well, that's weird. A little bit, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it seems like that's something that, like, Max should have given you, like, an inkling about. <laughs> yeah. Especially at this point. Like, if you're putting the company on the line, I think I should know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, even in the story, so you can, like, you know, play along. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. This is all real. All real. <laughs> Wrestling time, Fred! <laughs> Exciting. Exciting times in, in, in WAC. Yeah. You guys should come out to the December 19th show. In lovely Everett, Washington. In Everett, Washington, yeah. Everett's not that lovely. I know, that's why I said in Everett, Washington. (laughs) I took out the lovely. (laughs) Cool. Anyway, well, we've been talking for almost 20 minutes. Should we get on with things? Yeah, probably. we got three movies to talk about. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so before we get into uh, the reviews, we do want to thank uh, some very special folks, our gravediggers over on Patreon. Uh, these lovely, lovely people help fund this silly little show that we run here. Uh, it's not expensive, but it does cost money, and we, we don't have much money. Uh, so we need other people to pay our bills for us. Uh, and those people that pay our bills every month are Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Carlos Rodella, Gory B. Movie, Max Zaleski, Aaron Meyer, Bob Voorhees, and Kevin Nesgoda. Thank you so much, everyone, from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, it goes a long way to keeping this show uh, going. So, uh, thank you. Taylor, if anybody else wants to join the party, where can they go? They can go to patreon.com slash graveplotpodcast. For as little as $1, you can get exclusive content, including joining us live for Horror Business every single episode. Uh, you also get to pick the Patreon picks episodes, the uh, Week of the Patreon Octoberama episodes. $5 gets your name in the show. Uh, and other perks also include discounts on Great Plot merchandise, including the $20 level gives you a free t-shirt. Ooh. So it's basically like buying a t-shirt and not having to pay tax or shipping. There you go. And then you can just keep paying it. Don't don't stop after one month. That's a dick move. Yeah, just just give us the money. It's not <laughs> like you're using it. Seriously, money bags. <laughs> uh, cool. And all the money goes back into the show. Uh, anything that's left over, we put towards things like the Great Plot Film Fest. Nice transition. Yeah, Great Plot Film Fest tickets are on sale right now at greatplotfilmfest.com. Uh, Tony and I are going to start wading through the submissions here. Uh, we should probably find some judges. At some point. Yes, we should. <laughs> um, but it's going to be February 5th, 2022 at the Arc Ledge Cinemas in Columbia City, Washington. And uh, it'll be, I don't know, it's usually between, what, 20 and 25 films, uh, short films. Around there, yeah. 15 minutes or less from all over the world. So join us. For Pong. Yes, Tony, for Pong. <laughs> Fuck. Every goddamn time with the Pong. Do, do, do. Okay, yeah, we know the song. Do, do, do. Do you you know the song, Taylor? No, not really, but I don't give a shit. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Let's do some horror business. All right, with our one and only horror business story this week. We know y'all like real-world horror, so we wouldn't leave you hanging. Right. Uh, In real-world horror. This is the closest thing we get to true crime. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it seems like bugs just get scarier and scarier. Damn, nature, you scary. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know... Did I just... You did peek a little bit. That's weird. Uh, it seems like over the last couple of years, bees in particular have gotten very terrifying. Seriously, fucking murder hornets? Murder hornets. <laughs> For anybody outside of the Pacific Northwest, you may have not ca- caught wind of this, unless you're also in, like, what is it, China? Is that where they're from? I don't know. Probably. Uh, everything's made in China. Everything is made in China, <laughs> including the worst bugs. They're in Australia. Australia. Oh yeah, Australia is like king of the murder bug central. Crazy ass giant 
bugs that'll eat your face or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think the two gifts that uh that uh China has given us over the last couple of years are COVID and murder hornets, which uh were they didn't they didn't come this far south. But up north in, in northern Washington, there were bees about the size of fucking golf balls, uh sorry, hornets, uh, that would invade other bee nests, wasp nests, whatever kind of uh bee-like creature. They would invade their nests and kill the entire swarm. Also, uh apparently, like Getting stung by one of these things is like getting hit by the nail gun, or like getting, uh, uh, what's the word? Shot, shot with a nail gun. Thank you. <laughs> Still <laughs> sleepy brain. Um. So yeah. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, Bugs. so 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 the next adventure in bees, uh, comes in the form of. A vulture bee, guys. Now, what does a vulture bee do? Well, uh, much like its namesake, <laughs> it feeds on dead, rotting flesh. Uh, you know, you, you've heard of uh, carrion birds. Well, this is a carrion bee. Carrion bee. Um, so, yeah, the vulture bee is a species who uses a unique tooth and gut microbiome to feast on rotting flesh. Uh, they, uh, re- researchers have set up pieces of raw chicken in the forest. When the bees arrived, they not only swarmed the raw dead flesh, but also collected bits of it. So they took it away. They were just like, I'm going to eat some of this dead flesh, and I'm going to take some for later. Yeah. So I'm going to put some in my pocket and I'm going to take it home. <laughs> put this in my hive. Um, uh, as for the vu- vulture bees' actual microbiomes, the researchers found that they had guts rich with lactobacillus, bacillus, which is actually something you find in like a lot of... Uh, bread. Bread and like probiotic yeah. pills and stuff like that. Um. It's uh yeah. It's uh, often like okay, so it's often present in fermented foods that humans eat, such as sourdough. Um, researchers also found Carnobacterium, bacteria associated with flesh digestion. Together, as a team, the bacteria allow bees to eat dead bodies. And that's a direct quote: "Eat dead bodies," like not consume. Flesh, like they use the word dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and I doubt they're very picky. They're just gonna eat whatever. Yeah, like if you died in a forest, I'm sure these bees would eat you. Yeah, just like your cat. Sorry, guys. The consensus is in is if you die in your house, your cat's gonna eat you. Your dog probably will too. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think cats are more uh the, the evil. E- they're evil, uh, and they eat out of convenience. Like it's like, oh well, it's there. Might as well eat it. Yeah, I think the dog will probably take longer yeah. until it's just like, I need to fucking eat. There's yeah, all this meat right here. Yeah, because you know, dogs. I'm not even going to apologize. I'm not sorry. Dogs are more faithful animals. 
cats are evil hellspawn. <laughs> um, they all are. I don't care how sweet your kitten is. Um, yeah. well, we've seen Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, along with eating dead flesh, some vulture bees also bite. Now here, here's the maybe the worst part because you know if something's eating your body, it's what, whatever. Whatever, I'm, you're you're dead. Uh, just throw me in the trash. Fill me with cream. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not gonna be buried. If I'm dead, just throw me in the trash. Uh. Along with eating dead flesh, some vulture bees also bite, releasing a blister-causing secretion, or sorry, releasing blister-causing secretions in their jaws when they do. A secretion, (laughs) follow me here, that can cause the skin to erupt in painful sores. Guys, these bees secrete acid in their mouths, and they burn and melt your skin. So to me, this says the bees will kill you. And then eat your flesh. Right. Uh, also, vulture bees, very similar to maggots, usually enter the carcasses through the eyes. So, <laughs> again, you're dead, so it doesn't matter. But still, that's fucked up, right? Well, it's fucked up. <laughs> it's like bees crawling in your fucking eyes. Yeah. I mean, like of all places, it's like eyes and maybe your butthole. It's like, it was, why, why, why? Why are you picking those places? <laughs> The bees crawl in, the bees crawl out. The bee, the bees play pinnacle on your snout. Yeah, like that song. Yeah. That song they wrote about vulture bees. About vulture bees. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh unsettling. Where 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 are these? They're in your home. Oh no. <laughs> Don't tell me that. We've had wasp problems <laughs> in the past. South America. Okay. Well at least it's so far close. Away. Yeah. Good thing we live north. Yeah, closer than like, uh, you know, Australia. Yeah, or China. Or China. (laughs) Is China closer than South America? I mean, maybe not parts of South America, but... I mean, it did say that uh, murder hornets are also from Russia. Are they? Yeah, that's what I was just reading. Oh. Okay, well... And Russia's not far from here. (laughs) Yeah, you can see Russia from your house. <laughs> if you guys are old enough to remember that reference. Um, they are. Our our audience, I think, skews a bit older. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I don't think we're drawing in the TikTok crowd. Which is funny, because like, usually 14-year-olds are like, oh, they talk about dicks and boobs. <laughs> Which we do. We talk about dicks and boobs like a lot. So much. Guys, come listen to our podcast. We have dicks and boobs. <laughs> I mean, not really. We, we don't just have, talk about We don't have boobs, but... We have dicks. And we talk like, about them. It's not like we put dicks on us, or not dicks, but uh, not like we whiners put... on the glass. <laughs> uh, neat. <laughs> so that's horror business. <laughs> you know, uh, as you can see, and as as you already knew, I've been trying to get more into my art. Uh, you know. Get you know, getting more of it made and trying to sell it, and doing some arts and farts and crafts, arts and farts and crafts. Um, but you know, also trying to get my my name out there because uh, it's surprisingly well, not surprisingly, but it's very hard to do. Uh, and my wife was like, "You should get a TikTok." 
or you should start a TikTok and do like you know short art videos. Uh, there's just like there's a lot of artists on there that do it. I'm like, I don't want to join fucking TikTok. <laughs> like, I don't want to be part of that problem. Yeah. Then I was like researching. It's like, what are the best social media platforms for artists? TikTok, number, number one. Number three, TikTok. Oh, number three. What's number one? Uh, Instagram. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, Instagram, then... Live journal. <laughs> Isn't Live Journal owned by a Russian company now? It's like, no, yes, please. Give us all your information. <laughs> Um, In Russia, journal writes you. <laughs> um, I, f- I forget what number two was, but TikTok was number three. It's like fudge. Fudge. I mean, Instagram has actually Facebook too is like basically incorporated like a knockoff TikTok with like reels and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like yeah, I, like Facebook has done it. Instagram has done it. Twitter. Well, Twitter got rid of it, but. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the, how were those called? Fleets. Fleets. Um, yeah. yeah I, um, which made sense because they were fleeting. Right. This moment is fleeting because it's being chased by another moment. What the hell is that? How about your mother? Oh. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. I might end up getting TikTok just so I can, Make a name for myself. It's a bitch though, like because I made one Instagram reel so far, uh, and like basically what I did is I took my streams of me coloring, and it's like six hours worth of footage that I condensed down to one minute. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that's not an easy task. So I don't know how, even if I joined TikTok, I don't really know how many I'd make. Because Be like, I, make sure you watch my last 37 TikToks. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, I, I assume TikTok is probably a minute or less. I, I think it's less. I think it's like 15 seconds or something. Is that, a, no, it's got to be more than that. Because if she's shown me TikToks that are longer than that. Oh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I just remember when it first started, it was like, Super short, and people were like, "This is Vine. Like, you just brought back Vine." Yeah, basically. And then somebody was like, "Yeah, we're bringing back Vine." And people were like, "Fuck you, we got TikTok." That's kind of like when some people were like, "We're bringing back MySpace," and people were like, "Fuck you, we got Facebook." Like, nobody cares anymore. Yeah, but you know, fucking Gen Z, like, they come up. What's wrong? There's a bug. Oh yeah, it's a vulture bee. <laughs> fucking Gen Z, man, they like. They're like, oh, man, this thing is so awesome. It's like, yeah, we did that 10 years ago. They all sound like Blake Vapes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, yeah, Dad. (laughs) New flavor, new flavor. They're all SoundCloud rappers. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Sounds like horse trash. Um, I love the, the... tweet that somebody was like that twitter should have a thing where when you can put music on your profile so when people come to your profile they hear your favorite song somebody was like we've reached the generation that has no idea what myspace is yeah yeah and um we were talking about someone i can't remember who it was now but a child who's probably a good 15 years younger than me um who is apparently like a new trend is basically 
dressing like the 90s all over again. Like, if you go to a, a, a store, like a, not like fucking JCPenney's or something, something like that, but like a, like a, like a posh store, I guess, it might like something like H&M, um, where they think they're like the cutting edge of modern fashion. Fast you know? fashion. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's 90s clothes. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah. Everyone's wearing fucking Zubas and bucket hats. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Dude, uh, we, we went to JC... It's not even just the 90s. It's the worst fucking parts of the 90s. Oh, I know. Like, they're apparently, like, they're bringing back flare jeans, uh, mom jeans, which were just the worst, uh, but now everybody's wearing them again because they're... Or I should say, women are wearing them again because they're comfortable. It's like, I... Okay. I mean, I'm not going to get into that argument. If you're going to wear comfortable clothes, I'm not in a position to argue. <laughs> it's like girls were like, we're going to wear mom jeans because they're comfortable and we don't give a shit about you looking at our asses anymore. And guys like, fine, I'm going to wear fucking Zubas. How about that? <laughs> Dude, we, we walked into uh, JCPenney's on, on Friday because I wanted to buy a pair of jeans while they were on sale and walked right past just this rack of like six different kinds of bucket hats. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Uh, but like f- so much flannel, like, like, like I said, f- like flare jeans are coming back for girls. Apparently my wife was like, I'm never wearing flare jeans ever again. It's like, I don't want the backs of my jeans to be soaked. And when they're right. dry, they're as stiff as cardboard. Fucking Jankos are back. Right. Exactly. Why? Who's wearing Jankos? Besides Zach Baggins, but he's never stopped. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think we we talked about this before. He it, he has his own personal stash of Jinkos that got the new company off the ground. Right, he's been keeping them in business. Right, it's like uh, like when they brought back the DeLorean Motor Company. Like they started that by using all the leftover pieces from the DMC twelves and putting and making new cars out of them. Yeah, the reason Janko came back <laughs> is because Zach Baggins bought all their old stock, <laughs> and now they can use that money to make new Jankos. Right. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's and it's like this is the point where it's like, man, I'm I'm old now. (laughs) This is when I have become old. Uh, Yeah, like when I find myself going, this isn't music. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, like you watch the parade. How many of those fucking musicians did you even recognize? Foreigner and Rob Thomas. Exactly. (laughs) I knew. Nobody else. Then I had to text you about that one stupid girl. It's like, I want all my clothes designer. I want someone else to buy them. Like, these were the actual lyrics to her song. Uh And I'm just like, you entitled little twat. (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, one person I did recognize was this guy. Steve from Blue's Clues. Yeah, Steve. There was Steve. Everybody knows Steve. You know Steve. Yeah, he's back. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Like he made that that video to basically like make, address the nation. Yeah, to basically make millennials, you know, the younger millennials like feel better. And now, yeah, I feel like he's slowly making his way back into blues clues. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we're we still talking about bees. <laughs> no, we were done with that. We finished that a long time ago. <laughs> um, we're forty minutes in now. Uh, anyway, but there was this. I think he was on the the Sesame Street float, 
I don't know. I, I don't, honestly don't even know his name. He, all I know is that he plays Barry Allen's son on The Flash. Oh. He plays Bart Allen. Um, and, yeah. We, we we were talking about on that Sesame Street float. They have, like, the first Asian-American Muppet or Muppet? Korean. Oh, well, yeah, Asian, I guess. Yeah, the first Asian-American Muppet. Yeah. And I'm like, I remember when they had, like, the first African-American Muppet and stuff. And I'm like, Muppets were always just, like, blue and purple. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm all for representation and stuff, but I'm like, has there even been a white Muppet? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are Muppets that read as white. Yeah. Like, I know. guess Walter is kind of, he seems white. Walter. From the the movie. The, the Jason Siegel movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like Bert and Ernie. They're they orange and yellow. <laughs> but they read as white. Because they're nerds. Well, yeah. And they're, and, you know, just a very white. They're also gay. a gay couple. Yeah, very white gay couple. <laughs> um, but and then, yeah, I mean, not necessarily just just Sesame Street, but yeah, Muppets in general. You know, there's like a, um, just for the record, I want to say I'm not like advocating for a white Muppet. I'm not like, where's my representation? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just. I never saw... I just never saw Muppets having a race. Yeah, I never saw Muppets needing representation. Their race was Muppet. Yeah. And, you know, if it's like... If that's something where you need uh, children of a minority race to feel more welcome by having that, then, you know, more power to you. But it's like... Yeah, as somebody who watched, you know, Sesame Street 30 years ago... Uh, it's just something I never really considered. Again, yeah. I'm also white, so I guess I never really... Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I also kept waiting for Big Bird to be like, Yo, Ted Cruz, suck my bird balls! <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, the... the I, I don't know her name, but the new... Actually, I, guess I, think, there, I think there are two new characters. One is a Korean-American girl... And another boy who was Pacific Islander. So, yeah, you get that Asian Pacific Islander representation now. Whereas that wasn't there before, I guess. But um, I know Jim Lee, who's a comic book artist, was on an episode of Sesame Street. Because he's Korean. Um, and talking about coming to America as, as a young boy. And actually learning to speak English by watching Sesame Street. and So... I guess there's also Waldorf and Statler. That's sort of starting the, to say the but... other gay couple that right. lives up in the balcony. <laughs> yeah, you've got like the uh, the, the odd couple, like uh, Oscar and um... holy shit. Who's the other guy in the odd couple? Felix. Thank you, Felix. I thought you were talking about Oscar the Grouch. No, so it no, took no, me no. a second to catch up. Yeah. So yeah, you have Felix and Oscar, who are basically like. Burton Ernie. Yeah. And then you have Stather and Waldorf, which are just like the old grumpy gay couple. The, the grumpy old men. Yeah. Jack Lemon and yes, uh, exactly. The other one. <clears throat> anyway. Hooray for representation. Yay. I guess that's the moral. <laughs> wherever we were going with that. Hooray for Muppets. <laughs> All right. So um let's get back on track here. Shall we? Yeah, because we are way off track. Yes. I don't know how we got to Muppets from Killer Bees, but... 
I'd, I'd have to listen back to figure out how the hell we got there. Somehow we segued through the Macy's Day Parade. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck happened. <laughs> I blacked out for a second there. All right, guys. So let's talk about some movies. Let's talk about some Ghostbusters. Zzz, zzz. All right, guys, so like we said at the top of the episode, this is a very special episode uh, in that we will be talking about the Ghostbusters trilogy, and that does not mean that we are going to be talking about Ghostbusters Answer the Call. We don't talk about that on this show. That's a stupid movie. (laughs) Don't want it. Get out, lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so I won't try to I'll try not to go off on a huge tangent again, but there's a show. On Every time ne- you say that, it's, it's <laughs> going to be 20 minutes. Like, I think I told you about this. There's a show on uh, on Netflix about glass blowing. I think I texted you. I don't know. I know. I know the show though. Uh, blown away. Yeah, yeah. So there's two things about that show. One, <clears throat> the weekly winner uh, is best in blow, <laughs> and Clearly, nobody thought that through. <laughs> but also, and this may be an industry term that I'm not aware of, but the little kiln they use to heat up the glass, like the, the fire pit where they make it molten and flecked and you know malleable. Yeah, uh, they call that the glory hole. No, I swear to God, <laughs> the glory hole. <laughs> Every time they said it, and they said it a lot, that's all I could hear in my head. It was like the glory hole. Oh, okay. Anyway, so yeah, we are going to be talking about 1984's Ghostbuster, 1989? Yep. 1989's Ghostbusters 2, and 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife. We did not discuss who was going to do what. You want to do the first one, I'll do the second one, and then we tag team the third one? Just come at it from both ends? Yeah, just double ending. Just spit, roast it. (laughs) Chinese finger trap. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. All right, well, let's get this show on the road with Ghostbusters. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. 
the city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? <laughs> Stick. Hold. Him up. Smoke it. Make him hard. Ready. Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. All right. So, I mean, I was just going to say, uh, preface this in the interest of time, this movie especially has a lot of backstory to it as far as like casting and production and all that. I think we'll minimize that talk and just strictly talk about, talk about mostly just what's on screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, just as a, uh, a um, advisory, we're going to spoil part one and part two, which, I mean, if you haven't seen these fucking movies, what are you doing with your life? I don't know about cheese, but my wife had not seen it until we, we had started dating. She was a grown woman before she'd seen Ghostbusters. You know, now I don't know. It's, it's I mean, she hasn't seen anything, so who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, anyways, okay, so <clears throat> Peter Venkman. Ray Stance and Egon Spengler, played by Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, the late Harold Ramis. One love. One love. Where you at? Uh, They are parapsychology professors at Columbia University. Uh, Our first kind of introduction to them is they're going through this library. I guess that's not until later. Well, the movie opens up at... It's not the the library. Where is it it open up? Is it the library? It's the library. Yeah. Okay. Opening scene is at the main branch of the New York Library, which anybody who's been there is the one with the big lines out front. Right. Um, yeah, and there's like, you know, little kind of just subtle, creepy things going on, like a card catalog drawer will open on its own. Uh, at one point, like a whole shelf just falls. And Ray Finkel's mom is, <laughs> is putting books away. <laughs> um, what a smart night, huh? <laughs> Yes. Places <laughs> out. But little football. <laughs> okay, no, no, we're not talking about Ace Ventura. <laughs> uh, they come around the corner and they see this purple specter. Like, is it looking through the card catalog? Right, or doing something menial. Yeah, yeah. Like, actually, do you even see it at that point? Because I feel like, yeah, this is the getter moment. <laughs> no, 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 that's later. Is it? Yeah. Th- this opening scene is, like I said, Ray Finkel's mom. I-, I don't know the actress's name. She's a librarian. She's putting books away down in, in the-, the belly of the library. And yeah, shit sh- starts floating around. It's just out of eyesight, so she's not quite noticing it. And then I think at one point she turns a corner 
And all we see is like this bright light on her face. I don't think we actually see what she sees. Oh yeah, the like cold open, yeah. Yeah. So I mean this yeah, just kind of s- like, establishes it. Books scatter or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and then it Yeah, you know the whole thing. Jumps into the whole uh Parker Lewis song. Parker Lewis. I see what you did there. Do you remember that? I want to say it was from a drunken cinema. And I said Ray Lewis, and you were like, Parker. And I was like, Parker Lewis? <laughs> oh, us. <laughs> I don't remember that, no. You were like, he can't lose. <laughs> um, But, okay, so the... the the three guys, the three guys are talking about. They they go to the library, and they explore, and they see this ghost. And Ray is like, "I've got a plan. Hang on, get her, get her. <laughs> that was your great plan. Get her." Uh, but the the dean of the university is just like, "Hey, you guys are." You know, out here searching for ghosts. You're obviously crazy people. Yeah, he acts. You he, act, he acts like he's got like a real like personal hard on for these guys. Just like not in like a good way. No, like a bad way. Yeah, like a rage boner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like like he's just been looking for a reason to get rid of these guys. Yeah. A murder direction. Um. Yeah, so they, you know, they're kicked out of school. Uh, oh, yeah, we did a drunken cinema to this. <laughs> That's what the drunken cinema was. It was Ghostbusters. Did we do a drunken cinema for Ghostbusters? Yeah, we did. Wow. Okay. Um, so they end up moving into an old firehouse, which is apparently a thing you can do. Probably not anymore. I mean, the hook and ladder eight, is that what it is? Uh, yeah. It's an active firehouse. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. In the movie, it's not. No. It, yeah. Which, remind me, no, it's a spoiler. I can't talk about it. So remind me about, remind me of this when we're talking about afterlife, but I can't really get into that. Okay. Unfortunately. But uh, it's funny that it's, it's, you know, just in complete disarray, there's, shit everywhere and you can tell egon's kind of like trying to hustle the realtor a little bit he's just like you know oh i don't know it's kind of messed up and then race slides down the pole he's like we'll take it well no egon says like he's like so peter's talking to the real estate agent the real estate agent's like well you know it's got all these things you know all this space and yada 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 kind of trying to schmooze them into buying the place and then peter turns the Egon, and he's like, what do you think? He's like, I think this place should be condemned. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, there's there's significant, you know, where there's significant degradation in, in you know, all the metal foundation, you know, the, the wiring is unsuitable for our needs, yada, yada, yada. Basically just lists off all these reasons why not only is it just a bad for their purposes, but it's bad building in general. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. Ray slides down this pole like a child and is just <laughs> yeah. like, well, take it. We should stay the night here. <laughs> you know, to this, try it out. This is my room. <laughs> uh, they also develop a bunch of 
very tech technological. Is that a word? Yeah. It doesn't sound like a word. It's a word. All right. Well, they have a lot of techn techno That's not a word. Te technologically enhanced tools or advanced tools. Uh, you know, proton packs and these the ghost traps and uh, the the little thing that ha has the little things that come out. What is, does that thing have a name? So what is the it? little handheld thing and the and the rods come out of the top and it beeps the PKE meter. PKE PKE. What does that stand for? Uh, Paranormal kinetic energy, probably, or like psychokinetic energy, maybe. So yeah, they develop all these ghost hunting tools. That are, you know, real ghost hunting tools, not like the, the shit that you see on TV or just like, oh, man, this thing beeped. That means there's a ghost. Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of, but it's like better. It's just fancier. It's got more moving parts. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That thing, the PKE meter, is made from a shoe buffer or shoe polisher. Really? Yeah. The actual prop is made from a shoe polisher. <laughs> um, and You can see all it's these very props. sought after tool you can see these props at the museum of pop culture here in seattle that's right uh so dana barrett who is a cellist uh at the new york philharmonic played by sick horny beaver sick horny beaver uh she comes home one day and she puts her groceries down and suddenly her eggs as you do suddenly her eggs just start like popping just popping off and then like they hit the the counter and just start start frying right there on the counter yeah and she's like well she doesn't even notice actually not right away yeah, yeah. and then i think what she did what she does she's just like well that's weird and then she opens her fridge and there's just like a portal yeah and she just hears uh someone say zool right just say zool or gozer zool okay because in the new one they say gozer and i was trying to remember if that was like supposed to be a callback yeah, I mean, there's a lot of callbacks in the new one, so it's kind of hard to... Yeah, one or two. <laughs> um, yeah, so she hears this voice in her fridge, and she's just like, you know, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> uh, so she calls the Ghostbusters, as you do. She saw their advertisement on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, she found out they were ready to believe her. Right. We are ready to believe you. Um, so they come to her apartment. Venkman is instantly infatuated with her. Cause he's a fucking horn dog. <laughs> he, he's yeah. He's, Bil he's, he's Bill, Bill Murray, Murray in the eighties. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and they don't find anything at first, right? In her apartment. No. Yeah. Uh, then we, you know, we just kind of montage of them busting some ghosts we see them go to this big fancy uh hotel the sedgwick hotel mm -hmm. uh this is where they catch their first ghost which is a ghost named slimer everyone you knows know slimer. slimer uh slimer for people who don't know is based on john belushi one love who was originally supposed to be in ghostbusters yeah this was kind of their their homage um do you know who he was supposed to play? I believe he was supposed to play um, not necessarily Peter Venkman, but a character similar to Peter Venkman. And who was John Candy supposed to play? John Candy was supposed to be in Ghostbusters at one point, too. That I don't... Maybe maybe for the same role? Maybe. Could be. Um, 
I know this was like the backstory that I didn't want because it's like opening a can of worms. There's such a huge lore about this movie. Um, The original plan for the cast was Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy. And when that didn't pan out, they went back and they rewrote it to have four members instead of three. And I don't know that any character necessarily stayed the same. I think they changed all the characters to a degree. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And, but, I mean, I, th- I, th- I can't remember exactly why Belushi backed out. I don't, he, he may have died. I think, uh, I think he died. Or I, I couldn't remember if he died or he took a different role or, or what, but because um, I know he Yeah, won- he died in 1982. Okay. Well, that would explain it. Yeah, the like Aykroyd and Reitman started working on this movie years before it finally even got filmed. Right. So Yeah, so Slimer uh, is basically the ghost of John Belushi. Right. Um I mean, even if you don't know the Ghostbusters, you've seen Slimer before. He's a green blob with a head and arms. You've seen him on Ecto Cooler. Right. He's the <laughs> Ecto Cooler guy. Um, you know, he eats hot dogs for a time. Right. <laughs> And he gets his name because and he drives a bus. He slimes Venkman. He's like, that's the one that got me. I feel so funky. Uh, they finally catch him by zapping him with their proton packs. And Egon says, you know, whatever you do, make sure you don't cross the streams because it could be catastrophic. Right. It could cause a apocalyptic extinction level event. So they don't cross the streams. They bust Slimer, throw him in the trap. Bingo, bango. Bing bong. And that, that's a new thing. Everybody says, everybody says, everybody says bing bong. It's, it's, it's a New York thing. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and this basically launches their notoriety. Yeah, this is where we get like the montage of them busting ghosts left and right all over town. With the hip little bus boys music. The what boys music? Bus boys. Oh. They said West Boys. I, like, I think that's Bus Boys. It's like, what the hell is a West Boys? You guys who did the soundtrack for 48 hours. <laughs> uh, so the EPA is now on their ass. Walter Peck, who is like the head of the, the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, for whatever reason, he wants them shut down. Like it's his, his mission in life is to shut down the Ghostbusters. Yeah, Walter Peck is played by like the quintessential asshole. William William Atherton. He's the asshole in Die Hard, asshole in this, asshole in Biodome. <laughs> Basically every role he's ever been in, he's played the asshole. Yep. And it's like the same asshole in every role. <laughs> it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> but yeah, so he like, you know, goes to the firehouse and he like wants to see all their meters and everything and make sure that they're not running too much power or whatever. And for whatever reason, yeah, he's just like I want those Ghostbusters dead. <laughs> um, so uh, Egon, in his research, discovers that Zool, the name that was said by Dana's refrigerator, uh, was a uh, demigod who was a servant to Gozer the Gozerian, who is a god of destruction. Uh, Dana returns home and she ends up being possessed by Zool. That's where we get the famous line, there is no Dana, only Zool. Right. 
Uh, she becomes the gatekeeper, and her neighbor, Louis Tolley, played by the incomparable Rick Moranis. So good. In arguably his best role, <laughs> uh, Louis Tolley, he gets possessed by uh, Clortho, the Keymaster. And the Keymaster and the Gatekeeper together can bring about Gozer the Gozerian. Right. By, you know, putting a key in the gate, so to speak. With all that. Yep. A lot of action. <laughs> the gate is a vagina and or butthole. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and the key, for those of you keeping track at home... <laughs> Is a penis. It's true. <laughs> Presumably. This is never actually fully explained, but uh it is in, not in that much detail. <laughs> it, it's it's all uh ambiguity uh is removed in, in afterlife. In afterlife. <laughs> um <laughs> and actually there is a I was, I was just watching it today, and in the deleted scenes, after they get released from the husks of the terror dogs, um, Lewis is like, Dana, did we? And Dana's like, no, Lewis. And he's like, I could swear we did. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> I mean, they must have. That's That's how you open things. That's how you summon Gozer. Yeah, naturally. Uh, so Gozer stakes out claim up on top of the Empire State Building. No. No? No. Uh, Some other building? It's a Dana's apartment building. Oh, you're right. You didn't watch it, did you? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, so it's Dana's apartment building, and... <clears throat> Earlier in the movie, Ray is doing research, as you do. Uh, he finds out that the building was built by this guy. Um, Ivo Shandor. Ivo Shandor, who built the girders. Or So the girders of the building have solid selenium cores, which is just weird. Why would you do that? Um, and the, the top of the building is designed in, in a similar way that they use in satellites to discover dead pulsars. Uh, it's very similar in construction, and it's made from a, a strange magnesium tungsten alloy. And so Ray's just like, why would you do that? And like he's explaining this to the other Ghostbusters, and Peter's like, well, I guess they just don't make it like they used to. And he's like, no, nobody ever made them, made them like this. He says the guy was either a certified genius or uh, a complete whack job. But find out that all this is somehow, because he's apparently a uh, cult leader. He started a cult of nearly a thousand people worshiping Gozer. Right. So all this, the, the construction of this building was all wrapped around summoning Gozer. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I've seen this movie a dozen times, but it's just the I things you forget. Yeah, <laughs> I did, all the the small details are escaping me. Thanks for putting me on blast, though. <laughs> um, well, the people got to know. 
Yeah, so Gozer, who was originally supposed to be played by uh, Paul Rubens, is... Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> is on the roof of Dana's house, or Dana's apartment building. Oh, at this point, we for, please skipped over. At this point, Winston Zedmore has joined the team. They put out an ad for a, a fourth member, and Winston Zedmore, is he, he's the only person that responds, right? At least if they show. Maybe there's... They didn't really get into it, yeah. but they hired him on the spot without right. an interview, so... Probably. It, it kind of seemed like he was the only <laughs> one that didn't, that uh, applied. Um, yeah, so they go up on Dana's apartment. Um, Gozer says, "Are you a god?" And you know, this is where you get the famous line: "Ray, if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes." Right. He doesn't. So Gozer, you know, is going to wipe out the town. Uh, Gozer says. Choose the form of your destructor. And they're like, you know, Gozer can read minds. And so they're like, don't think of anything. Just completely wipe your mind of everything and just be blank. And then all of a sudden there's like a rumble and they're like, Ray, what did you do? Mm -hmm. He's like, I tried to think of something innocent, something from our childhood, something that could never hurt us. Of course, it's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Right. Who is now... 40 stories tall, stomping through uh, New York City. Yep. Um, so, I feel like I skipped over some stuff. Mm, nothing crucial. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the uh, Stay Puff Man is just marching through Manhattan, <laughs> ready to just destroy everything, and uh, I think it's Egon. Egon, like I, I, sk- I skipped over the part where they got arrested and stuff, but I guess that's that's not really. Yeah, yeah, he they get arrested for trying to what assault Peck because he, he comes in. And that's why everything has gone to hell, like because Peck he got such a hair up his ass that he came in with a cop and somebody from Con Ed. Um, to shut everything down, right? And even though Peter, and he released all the ghosts, yeah, he opens, he she, he, he goes down into the bottom and in, into the basement of the uh firehouse where the where their containment uh chamber, I, f- I forget the actual unit, ch- I don't know. containment unit, probably, yeah, uh, where they keep all their ghosts, big unit, <laughs> um, and without without assessing anything he just tells the con ed guy to shut it down yeah and egon and peter both strongly advise him against it say if you shut this off you will regret it and they shut it off you know scary red lights turn on (laughs) and the wall starts lighting up uh because the containment field has been severed and all the ghosts are coming coming home to reap no, that's not right. Coming, Coming home, home to, to sow. sow. No, roost. That's the that's, one. They do that too, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever things do when, <laughs> whatever they, ghosts when they come do. home. <laughs> yeah, and so the city gets overrun with ghosts since they're in jail. And uh, so that's how Zool is able to, you know, Zool and Clothos, um, or Clortho, Clortho, um, Clortho yeah. are able to raise uh, Gozer because there's nobody to stop him. Right. And so that's how the, the Ghostbusters finally are just like, have you looked around? Like, 
Shit's fucked up. Yeah. Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> yeah, and they're trying to explain to the mayor of New York uh, why everything is going fucking sideways and like how we're looking at like end of the world type shit right now if you don't let us do our job. Right. Um, and after some advisement from the, the New York um, uh, <clears throat> cardinal, or, yeah, uh, he decides to let the Ghostbusters do their thing. Right. That's and, when they go on top of the building, and now we're caught up. Right. Uh, so they start start blasting Gozer. It's not working. Nothing's happening. And so finally Egon's like, we're, we have to cross the streams. And Venkman's like, you said crossing the streams was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I don't know. I'm out of ideas. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sarah, sarah. Uh, so they, they, they blast the portal, the dimensional portal, blow it up. Gozer. <laughs> the effects in the new one are much better to yes. what happens to Gozer. And the new one, Gozer just kind of takes a tumble. <laughs> right. And things just kind of spark and explode. Yeah. And then the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man explodes and there's marshmallow fluff all over the entire city. Yeah. Delicious marshmallow. Do you think they just did that with like a miniature city? Like the, the effects of like the marshmallow just exploding and plopping down and crushing cars. And No, that was real. How'd they do that? <laughs> Fuck if I know. They just had a giant marshmallow fluff gun. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's like downtown, man. Or um, midtown, I guess. Um, I thought maybe it was like a miniature or something. No, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they probably did some miniatures there, like uh, like the scenes where the Stave Puff Man is walking through the city. Yeah, that was all miniatures. Um, but like, yeah, all the fluff falling from the sky and stuff that was that was all real. Actually, again, I was watching deleted scenes, and there was a part that they cut out. I don't know why. Maybe because it didn't look good on screen. But after the Stay Puft Man blows up, a, his hat comes floating down <laughs> and just lands on top of people. It looked like like a like a parachute, so it, maybe it just didn't look great on screen. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it was that was all on shot on like an actual New York street. I don't know where they actually shot it. it there was a church in the background, like a big Catholic church. Could be St. Patrick's. Could be. I mean, there's got to be other churches that look like that. I know St. Patrick's isn't anywhere near Central Park, so. Yeah, no. Um, anyways, that's not important. No. <laughs> um, the, the the terror dogs, they're called uh, Zool and Clortho. They, they've now turned to like this hard, hard. It looks like hard doo-doo. There's no other way to say it. <laughs> it looks like dried doo-doo. Does look like dried doo doo. Uh, you know, Venkman and the boys—they they bust out Lewis and Dana. Uh, Lewis and Venkman have a little moment. They have, they share a moment. No <laughs> um, kissy kissy. And then the the boys are welcomed with open arms by the uh, people of New York, including Peter Jackson, who is in the crowd. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. I think it's funny, like, because it shows them. It's not just like a you know freeze frame with them at the top of the top of the stairs or you like know, jumping with one hand, yeah, on the <laughs> or you know you know waving at the crowd or whatever. They actually show them, like, okay, well, 
time to go home. You know, they take off their proton backs, packs, they get them loaded back in the in the car, and they all pile into the car. And I think Ray actually pays the doorman, <laughs> uh, like like tips him, and they get in and, and drive off. So it's like like real follow through, like watching them actually leave, because you know it's okay, the job's done, time to go home, right? So it's like it kind of um, humanizes them a little bit. I th- instead of them being like these large superheroes, life heroes, or... yeah, they're just just regular guys. Just guys. So no different than like firemen or cops or, or whatever. You know, every anybody who's just come to do a job. You know, yeah. You know, carpet cleaners, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and then yeah, as they drive through the streets of New York, people crowd the car and. Yeah. Cheer and um Yeah, so that's that's Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um This came out a year before I was born. So I didn't grow up well, I mean I did grow up watching it, but it wasn't brand new when I was old enough to watch movies. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe that's why I've always felt more of a connection to the second one, because it was newer i mean it was it came out when i was four and so you know around that around that age four or five i was starting to watch movies watch cartoons and we'll, we'll get into real ghostbusters when we talk about the second movie um but so i, I don't really know what what the um the the uh the public sensationalism was like for, for this movie I mean, clearly there was enough of a following to warrant a second movie. Yeah, uh, this was back in the day when sequels weren't necessarily guaranteed. You know, people weren't weren't studios weren't necessarily only seeking out franchises like they do now. So I don't know if this was really designed as a, as a standalone, and then they just made a sequel because they because they made money off of it, or or what the plan was. So, but I know like a lot of toys and stuff didn't come out until the second movie. But anyway, but no, I mean, this has got, I mean, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. Uh, Deseret News, Christopher Hicks praised Reitman's improved directing skills and the crew for avoiding the vulgarity found in the previous film, Caddyshack and Stripes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like it had generally positive reviews when it first came out. Yeah, I mean, like, no. Gene Siskel said that Murray's comedic sensibilities compensated for the boring special effects. Gene Siskel is such a prick. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're. I was one when this came out. Yeah, no, no, not you. I'm oh. like, I'm talking about you as in use guys, use guys. <laughs> you, you're talking about a cast of these guys who were at. Kind of like the height of their careers. I mean, you got Harold Ramis and, and Bill Murray, who, uh, I mean, Bill Murray was obviously more of a name than Harold Ramis was, but they did they did Stripes. Uh, you, you know, Dan Aykroyd, who's coming off of SNL. Um, and, uh, you know, I think most of his fame came after that. You know, we started doing, like, um, Great Outdoors and, and, you know, movies in that time period came after Ghostbusters, I think. Um, but, you know, you had a, a, a great cast, you know, 
three, four guys that are just so fucking hilarious, all working together um, on, on such uh, an original concept. Um, you know, I, I can't think of a mo- of a movie before this where, I mean, other other than something like Scooby Doo, where they're out chasing ghosts and even though those weren't even ghosts most of the time yeah um and i mean you know although we said at the top of the episode that it's it's not horror there there are parts of it that are you know genuinely scary yeah you know obviously not to us because we're jaded but sure um you know that are designed to be genuine scary moments and i i think that this is you know an early example of a horror comedy Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, like we we talked about when we started this, this is better qualified as horror adjacent yeah. than actual horror. But, you know, for what I believe was a fairly low budget film, I mean, nothing, nothing that was, uh, you know, stopping the presses. 25 to 30 million is what it says for budget. I don't know why there's a range. I don't know if that's high or low when you think about inflation. Or maybe middle of the road. Regardless, you know, the stuff that they were able to do back then, you know, you look at it now and a lot of those effects are kind of cheesy. But, you know, back in mid-80s, like that was some pretty killer shit. Yeah. You know, especially being able to create, um, you know... Uh, creatures that you could you could see through, and still have them uh, feel like they're on the same plane of existence, rather than you know superimposed. Right. Um, they did that very well. Uh, I mean, think about like um, mainly main like the the library ghost mm-hmm. and Slimer. I think were probably the best examples of yeah the, the creatures that felt like they're really there, rather than something that was superimposed. And that's even a, an issue with CGI. Is like you know you can do something CGI and it can look good as far as computer images go, but it doesn't necessarily look like it's there in the scene. It looks right. like a computer image. Um, but yeah, for them to be able to manage that with the technology available in the eighties, I've always appreciated that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean the the story's so fun. Um, and you know, th- these are the things why the mo- why the movie's popularity has en- endured for over thirty years. And I mean, the characters are just like almost forty. Shit, so great. You know, you've got Venkman is your schnoozer. Know, yeah, just this this dry wit about him, and then you've got Ray is just like this kind of awkward, you know, neurotic, um, but still very smart. And of course, Egon is just a, a super genius. Mm-hmm. And Zedmore is also there. <laughs> yeah, man, Winston. Ernie Hudson kind of got the short end of the stick. And I mean, I know he said that the original script was like much meatier for, for Winston. Yeah, he had something like. He was supposed to be like a former. Air Force pilot or something? Something like that, yeah. I think he had something like... For some reason, number 27 sticks out in my head. Something like 27 pages or 27 lines. 
a dialogue or something like that. But yeah, like I said, just a much more substantial part. And when it came down to the final shooting script, it was like almost all gone. And I think even more got cut out. So in both of these two movies, Winston got fucked. Um, and you know, Ernie Hudson got fucked because he's a great actor. Yeah. And he got real royally screwed <laughs> by this film who was making, you know, these three popular actors even more popular. And he's just like that fourth guy. And it doesn't really help that he's black because that doesn't look great. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the fact that you could get these, I mean, talking about the three main Ghostbusters, you know, the founders, um, the fact that you could get these three guys together, like I said, these comedic geniuses, because, you know, even though Harold Ramis was mo- known more for, for writing at that time, um, and even later in his career, he wasn't much of an actor. He was always a writer, director. Um, you know, he's so funny. Like, his t- his timing is so good. Yeah. And the way him and Murray worked together was, was incredible. I mean, like, like Stripes. So good. Mm-hmm. Caddyshack. Uh, he wasn't in Caddyshack, but... Well, I... I meant... But he wrote Caddyshack, right? That is a, a fine question. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like I may have known that at some point. No, he directed it. He directed it. I thought right. No, Reitman directed Stripes. Regardless, screen. Yeah, Harold Ramis, Brian Doyle Murray, and Douglas Kenny wrote it. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I really can't say enough good things about this movie. And I mean, even the ancillary characters, you know, Tully and Dana, are they? You know, uh, Rick Moranis and Sigourney Beaver play and, the, and, play their roles to perfection. Yeah, and and uh, Janine, Janine uh, Melnitz, yeah, Annie Potts, Annie Potts. Um, she's just even though her role is so minimal, I feel like she is essential to the film because she is clearly just there. You know, she's like that typical secretary, you know, admin assistant, whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, where she's like, this is just a job. I'm here to do my, my eight hours and go home. Um, and she plays that role so well. She's got that, such that New York attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And that thick accent she's got. She, yeah. I mean, she doesn't really have it in real life, <clears throat> but I think she, plus that squeaky voice <laughs> is just iconic. And those bug eyes. <laughs> yeah, the bug eyes. Sorry about the bug eyes thing. <laughs> Quit staring at me. You got those. I mean, everybody gets their moment without overshadowing anybody else, you know? Right. Like, of course, got the iconic, we got one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So great movie, just up and down. I really have, and I'm, I'm really trying to stay objective about it too. Um, like this is, this one of those movies that my dad quotes constantly. Like, I don't know how old I was when I first saw this, but I'm, I'm sure I, I couldn't have been very old because I'm sure he probably showed it to me one of the first things because he he loves these fucking... Like, Caddyshack is his favorite movie of all time. Really? Yeah. So he loves these movies. Big Stripes fan. Um, 
sorry about the bug eyes thing is, is a big Larry quote. <laughs> uh, uh, this man has no dick. Hear that one a lot. <laughs> and of course, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Right. I think those are probably the, the big three nice. that I've heard a lot in my life. <laughs> my dad doesn't like these movies. He's not even totally sure that he ever even saw the second one because he didn't like the first one. Really? Yeah. That surprises me. Right? Like, not only as a horror fan, but a guy who, who loved Saturday Night Live in its heyday, you know, in the 70s and, and early 80s. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, same, he, he loves Caddyshack. He loves Stripes. Like, I don't... I don't think I've ever asked him why he doesn't like it because I don't really care. Just like the fact that he doesn't like it is unforgivable. Um, I don't know. This just seems to me like one of those movies where it's just universally liked. And for somebody to not like it is just baffling. Especially, I think you said, I mean, this movie seems like it's almost tailor made for him. Like, I have no explanation. But, um, and, you know, I, I, honestly, I just discovered that a few years ago. Not that it was always on my mind, but I guess I just, in the back of my head, it's just like, yeah, that's one of those things that Dad likes. Just does not like Ghostbusters. Craziness. <clears throat> anyway. Um... Oh, also, Reginald Vell Johnson plays a police officer because it's it's a work of... Uh, cinema. So, of course, Reginald Vell Johnson, yeah. if he's going to be in it, he's going to be a police officer. Naturally. <laughs> also, uh, Ray gets a ghost blowjob. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that scene serves no purpose. Not, none whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it's a dream sequence, but it's like so out of place. Yeah, it's, it's like, like during the montage you know, of them like busting ghosts. And think- you just see him, He all of a sudden his belt just comes undone by itself. His pants get unzipped, and then Dan Aykroyd just goes, and he's dressed in like some like Victorian outfit too. <laughs> like he's got like this coat on with like that has like rolls and ruffles on it while laying in bed. Yeah, it's like it's like a four post bed too. It's, <laughs> it's like what the fuck is going on? And it's like ten seconds long, if that. And you know, you think about that, like that's ten seconds on screen. It's like, what could you have put back into the movie that had Winston in it and not put that scene in? Yeah. It's like, you know, there are some some choices that were... It just feels like one of those scenes that either like either Aykroyd or Reitman or somebody just thought that was so fucking funny yeah. that they just had to put it in there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was probably Aykroyd. It, it feels like it would have been Aykroyd. <laughs> Anyway, um, trying to look at this objectively, like without the nostalgia, I mean, it, it's, it's still a very good movie, even if you, you know, it, it still holds up to this day. Yeah. Um, I can't really think of any jokes that are a little like, Ooh, can't say that anymore. Yeah. Me neither. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing, like, as far as, like, offensive language, I don't think anything really registers. Yeah, I mean, it even got kudos for not being vulgar. Um, Like you said, the effects, you know, while, yes, they're 80s effects, um, I mean, they're still 
very good for the time and they're they're still better than a lot of the shit we've watched on this podcast <laughs> yeah i mean like industry guys like guys that do special effects now regard that movie or, or hold that movie in high regard yeah uh as far as the effects um and yeah the, the fact that they were able to do that on you know a semi-limited budget i mean even in the 80s it couldn't have been cheap to shoot in new york um uh, lost my train of thought. But it's uh, yeah, doing those effects on not shoestring, but probably limited budget because this was, this was still Columbia Pictures, so I'm sure they threw some money at it. Yeah, and it had name recognition too because it had Murray, Aykroyd, and and Remus in it. Um, so apparently the the special effects were done. I know we didn't want to go too far into the behind the scenes stuff, but. Uh, they were done by uh, Richard Edland, who was given $5 million by MGM to start his own company to do the effects for this show. He left Industrial Light and Magic, which, I mean... He left ILM. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, ILM is like the industry standard for special effects. Yeah. Uh, he was already planning on leaving and starting his own company. And uh, Reitman convinced MGM to give him $5 million startup to start his own company to do special effects for this movie. I'll be damned. Boss Film Studios. Hmm. Well, how about that? That's the guy that designed Slimer. Yeah. And he designed it after John Belushi. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're running a little long on this, so maybe we think about wrapping it up. Yeah, yeah. Anything you want to say? Um... Yes, have some is another <laughs> another Larry quote. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's just like the comedy is so well done because it's none of it is over the top. You know, like Rick Moranis is the, the closest thing to like a slapstick when he gets possessed. But I mean, even then, it's not super over the top. It's not, you know, groan inducing. Right. And like I said, you've got all these different types of comedy and they're all working together and they work together so well. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm just reading like... There's a section here on the on the Wikipedia page of thematic analysis. And oh, yeah, I saw that. It's like, man, these people really looked way too deeply into a comedy movie. <laughs> <clears throat> saying that the the ghosts represented analogs for crime, homelessness, and pollution, and faltering infrastructure and public services. I really don't think they had that in mind when they wrote the movie. But, you know, people will find what they want to find in a movie. Yeah. Regardless if it's there or not. <clears throat> anyway. Um... Yeah, so I guess wrapping up, uh, it's just it's just a great movie. Uh, this, yeah, I mean, I still love this movie today as much as I ever have. Yeah, every time I watch it, I still think it's funny. I think I still think it's entertaining, and you know, even though I have, I'd say probably ninety five percent of it committed to memory at this point, it's like I still I still enjoy watching it. 
Um, it's just that little bit of nostalgia, I guess, um, that kind of helps me. But it's also an entertaining movie that's very well done. And it's it's quality still holds up, you know, close to 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is something I, I look forward to showing my son when he's older. Mm-hmm. So, um, criticisms, I wish they would have given Winston more. Sure, yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's kind of it. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I like trying to look at this movie objectively and trying to rule out all the nostalgia and everything. I I still have a hard time thinking it's not a nine. Yeah, and, and that that's kind of where I'm at now. I think if they would have been uh, a little more fair in their dialogue to Winston, I probably would have considered giving it a ten. But I think that's kind of something that they they should have recognized at the time. It shouldn't have taken. 40 years of people telling them that they got that they fucked up Winston. Yeah. For them to have, have realized that. Um especially when there's so much more in the script that they ultimately cut out. Yeah, exactly. Like you had it right. Right. That was the whole reason Ernie Hudson took the role. Yeah. Um so yeah, so it's, it's two nines then. Yeah. All right. All right, well, next up of course is Ghostbusters 2. At the stroke of midnight, on New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes, When the slime starts to rise. The Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload. We gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Look out! Look out! Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Right, suck in the cuts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on you. No, no, no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the 10th level of hell. And kick some slime. Looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year. Close them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short. Your belly button sticks out too far. And you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray. Dan Aykroyd. Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. Yeah. We're back! Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! 
All right. So, Ghostbusters 2. Uh, Back in the habit. <laughs> right. Uh, this was this came out in 1989, and it actually takes place in, you know, it present day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, movie starts out, and it's kind of funny, without any kind of context. Real quick, before you get into the plot, um, I just... It, it this does say that the original was supposed to be a standalone. There was no plans for a franchise, um, but obviously, since it does did so well, they were like, well, "Now we got to make another one." You make that money. Uh, apparently, David Putnam became chairman of Columbia in June 1986, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm not making that fucking movie." He was like, "I'm not spending 40 million dollars on Ghostbusters 2. Go fuck yourself. I'm gonna go make you know some." He wanted to make Hope and Glory, which was a small budget war movie. What a dick. Yeah, he, w- he was not interested in big budget blockbusters. So, you know, good thing he became a chairman of a major movie studio. Yeah, no shit. Um, yeah, I don't know what exactly changed his mind, but obviously, you know, obviously they made the damn thing. Probably the board being like, hey, no, we were going to make that. <laughs> they were like, hey, the first one, it made money. You like money? Yeah. Well, we like money. And if you don't like money, then you go somewhere else. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, anyway, so yeah. Without any context whatsoever, five years later. <laughs> um, and we open up uh, on, on New York Street. We see um, this, like right off the bat, we see this pinkish ooze seeping up from the sidewalk. Um, and then we see a stroller wheel over it. Pan up, it's sick horny beaver, and she's pushing a baby carriage. Uh, so clearly she get, she got down. And you know she I, fucks. <laughs> and you know, I we have to think that you know, if you were watching this in the theater in 1989, you're probably thinking, oh, her and Peter had a kid. Sure. Not the case. We'll find that out later. Um, so, yeah, she said, like I said, she wheels her car- wheels the baby carriage over this ooze, um, and she pulls up to her. And as she's walking down the street, this is like setting up context for the movie. New Yorkers just being New Yorkers. Just being absolute fucking pricks to each other uh, over the most minuscule stuff. Like, you know, some guy yelling at a meter maid uh, for giving him a ticket or for... Actually, was that a woman or a man? I don't know. I think it was a man. You'd be yelling at a meter maid for giving him a ticket. Um, And, you know, people, you know, probably bitching about taxis and, you know, other New York things. (laughs) Hakuna Matata, motherfucker. (laughs) Um, From the motherfucking Lion King. (laughs) And uh, she wheels up to her apartment building, her new apartment building, and uh, she sees her super out, you know, bitching out some moving guys, I think. Yeah, I think so. And she's like, you know, hey, Mr. So-and-so, you said you were going to fix the heat in our apartment, and now it's getting really cold out. Can you work on that? And he's like, well, it's not my job, but I'll help you out. Or I, no, she asked him to hold what, hold groceries or something. 
He's like, it's not my job, but I'll help you out. It's like, oh, you mean you're going to be just a nice person? <laughs> Even if you don't want to. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the whole context of people being miserable pricks to each other is is an overarching th- or, or arcing or arching overarching arcing overarching theme in the movie wait now i'm second guessing my overarching i feel like it's <laughs> now i'm not sure <laughs> arching sounds right in my head but like if i hear it it's overarching sounds right but if i think about the word overarching looks right one of the two <laughs> One of those things is right. Um, suddenly, the baby carriage just starts rolling away. And Dana tries to chase after it, and it just picks up speed. It's taken off down the sidewalk, um, you know, blowing past people. You know, a couple of people try to stop it, but mostly people just step aside. Like, oh, my God, I don't that can't ruin my day. <laughs> Fuck that kid. <laughs> uh, then suddenly the thing rolls out into traffic. Uh, and you know, with, without a second guess, like I think most parents would runs out she runs out into the street after it, the carriage is inches away from being hit by a bus and it just comes to a dead stop. Um, Dana catches up with it, you know, picks her baby up or baby Oscar. Um, and, uh, you know, she's just holding him. And uh, that's when we get the that's when we get the theme song kick, uh, and and you know the title card. Um, let's see from there. Uh, she goes to uh, this institute for advanced learning or something like that. Something like that. S- some yeah, some probably branch of a university somewhere or whatever. Uh, she goes to consult Egon, uh, who's doing behavioral tests. Um, and it's like he's got these people locked in a room, and they think that they're for uh, marriage counseling. And they've got this big two-way mirror. Um, and he's telling telling her that they think they're here for marriage counseling, but he's been making them wait for like an hour and a half. And his assistant is telling him now – that they need to wait for another 20 minutes. It's like the community thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did the same bit on community. And he's been gradually raising the the temperature incrementally the entire time. He says it's up to like 95 degrees in there. And so he's basically testing whether or not human uh, emotion affects energy in the environment. Again, this is something that leads into the, the bigger theme of the movie. So you forgot to mention the Ghostbusters are no more at this point. Uh, they got sued into oblivion for property damage, right? When they were, you know, saving the fucking world, right? <laughs> well, that that's just like case in point for fucking bureaucracy, uh, and you know, blood sucking lawyers, and and you know, just the judicial system being totally fucked up. Yeah, um, things like that always remind me of uh, Liar Liar when. He, when his, his, his assistant has quit and she's saying, my friend, uh, had somebody break into her house. He climbed onto the, under the roof and fell through the ceiling and landed on a knife. And the, uh, the criminal 
uh, where he landed on a knife, and because of some uh, blood sucking lawyer like you, the criminal won. He sued my friend and won for five million dollars. Right, and he got him I ten. Got him ten. <laughs> and so just shit like that. I always think back to that and how fucked up because that's that's how it works. Yeah, you know, if you try to give somebody life saving CPR and you break their ribs, they can sue you. Yep, and that's why so many people die. Or The Incredibles. The guy, yeah, yeah. the guy jumps out the window. Mr. Incredible saves him. He's like, I saved your life. You ruined my death. Yeah. Yeah, it's like causing them emotional distress because they're saving, you're saving their life. Yeah. So uh, that just goes to show you how fucking backwards our judicial system is. Um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, like you said, we're, we're, we're slowly getting reintroduced to all the Ghostbusters. Um, like you said, they're, they've disbanded. Um, and we see the Ecto one, which is seen better days, rolling down the street, kicking up all kinds of exhaust, sounded like a like a real clunker. Pulls up to this brownstone, uh, and they, and uh, Ray and Winston get out and and walk up inside, and you know they're they're talking to this woman, saying, "I hope you can handle them." And like, how many are there? She's like a dozen or, or so. And like, how big are they? About she says about four feet tall, and you find out that they're there for a birthday party as yeah. like entertainment, performing as Ghostbusters. And you know, none of the kids want them there. They're all looking forward to seeing the <laughs> man. They don't give a shit. Yeah, and one kid says, "You know, my dad says you guys are full of crap." Um, and uh, yeah, so this is just kind of the life that, that the Ghostbusters have now. Um, you know, they save the city and. Nobody appreciated them for it, you know. Probably outside of that celebration, you know, uh, uh, out in the street at the end of the first movie, that was probably about as long as it lasted. Yeah. Um. And uh, let's see. Oh, Ray, Ray find- also owns a bookstore. Yeah, Ray's occult books, right? And we also find out Peter, who has. Two degrees, like two two PhDs, has left academia altogether and is, is instead hosting this schlocky TV show uh, or t- talk show about psychic phenomenon. Um, and uh, you know he's he's booking these two people. One guy says that he has a, a profound psychic vision that the world's going to end on New Year's Eve of this year being 1989. Um, and then he turns to another lady he has there who says that she got uh, a vision from um, from an alien saying that it was going to end on uh, Valentine's Day of some year. I can't remember what. I want to say it was like 20. It was, it was in the future, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, after the show, you see him walking through the, the office of the studio and... His producer is telling him, you know, we can't get better people than these than these guests because no real psychic will come on here because they think you're a hack. 2016. Okay. Um, Valentine's Day. Bummer. bummer. <laughs> uh, this is when he uh, briefly interacts with the mayor of New York and his new assistant um, played by, I can never remember this guy's name, Kurt Fuller. Um and he's trying to get the mayor's attention. He's like, hey, hey, you know, hold it right there. Woody. Woody, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and he says, you know, the mayor's, you know, planning to run for governor next year. So you stay the hell away from him. He doesn't need trash like you fucking up his chances. And he's like, you know, we tried to save the city here five years ago and we got really fucked on the bill. So, you know, I want to talk to the mayor about that. And he basically just tells him to stay the hell away. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Egon goes to Ray to talk about what Dana brought to him. Um, and uh, they're kind of working together to try to figure out what's going on. They're talking in the bookstore uh, when Peter walks in. So they're still in touch. They're not Ghostbusters per se anymore. Um, but they're, they're still in touch with each other. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so, like, even though Dana told Egon not to tell Peter because they had some falling out, she went and got married, had a baby, and now she's divorced, she said that she thought about getting back in touch with him but just didn't bother. Um, so she doesn't want Peter to know that Egon and Ray are helping her but Ray lets it slip out after a very aggressive ear tug. <laughs> um, and uh, that's when they go to her apartment and they're poking around trying to find out, you know, what's going on. Um, Man, I forgot to mention the part in the first one when he does the thing with the piano. <laughs> I hate this. They hate this. <laughs> uh you know, in the first movie, that thing that he's using, that stupid little Big box. With rod. The, with yeah. The, yeah, the rod with the squeeze ball. Apparently, that's a real tool. Really? It's used to detect uh, um, radiation, I believe. <laughs> it's, a, it's called a sniffer. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway. So, yeah. You know, Ray and Egon are doing tests. Well, not aggressive testing, but just kind of examining Oscar. Um, and... Uh, Basically, just like waving tools over him. Yeah. Um, and uh, Peter, he, he's just being, you know, he's a, he's a <laughs> schmoozer. He's just being Venkman. Yeah, he's trying to hit on Dana. You know, it's like, why do we ever break up? And Dana's like, you know, it's when you started introducing me as the ball and chain. that That's when I left. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they can't find anything wrong with Oscar, so but they're they're gonna keep looking into it and see what they can find. Um, we find that since having her baby, Dana gave up the orchestra because she was part of the symphony or sorry, uh, the New York Symphony, um, and we completely glossed over that. Not that I, it was I a, mentioned it. Did you? Yeah. Okay. So it said she was a cellist. Oh, okay. Okay. I guess I didn't. I think I said she's part of the Philharmonic, though, which I guess that's the, the symphony, not the Philharmonic. Right. Um, yeah, she put that on the back burner, um, and instead she went to go work at the Museum of Art, where she's restoring paintings. Um, and that's where her uh, her boss, played by Peter McNichol, who's just, like, he's such a weirdo. Dude, we just watched Adam's Family Values on Thanksgiving. Oh, I, I just I watched it like a couple of days before that. <laughs> um, Not on my time, four eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the part where they're they're practicing the dancing, and there's that one girl who's just like, he's <laughs> just like, he's like, 
It's like one of the funniest parts of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks back there and just takes her off screen. It's like, where the fuck did he take her? <laughs> um, anyway. Like, when Wednesday starts going off script, he says something like, my prose or something like that. My My words. It's something like my words, but it, he doesn't I actually remember. say my words. It's something more pretentious. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, at one point, Wednesday, when she's saying why she doesn't want to be in the the play, she's, like, saying, you know, your, your, your prose is weak and your, your storytelling is um, basically just insulting his, his ability as a, as a writer. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so he is Vigo. <laughs> so at the Museum of Art, um, Dana is working there. I said as a as a rest, uh, art restore restorer, and seems to be the um, point of affection of uh, Janos, uh, who is basically like our. Even though Lewis is in this movie, he's kind of like a replacement for Lewis. Um, in that he's just, he's a fucking weirdo. He's a fucking weirdo that Dana wants nothing to do with. <laughs> That's in love with her, right? Um. So, yeah, she says, you know, that my now that my baby's a little older, I'm gonna, you know, go back to working with the uh, the, the symphony. Um, and uh, he uses that as an opportunity to ask her out again, and she's like clearly just not into it at all, even though she's trying to be polite. Like same same way that she was with Lewis in the first movie, she's like trying to be polite about it. Um, uh, around this time, we get a huge portrait, like bigger than anything I've ever seen in in, in real life. Yeah, it's gonna be like fifteen feet tall. Yeah, of uh, a car. Uh, Was it Moldovian Carpathian? Vigo the Carpathian. But he's this—he's the scourge of Moldova. Oh, I don't know from that area. You know that, <laughs> that area, Eastern Europe. I mean, he is a Carpathian, but he's the scourge of Moldova. Sure, it can be both. Sure. Um, they've brought this painting in, and um, basically, he's—he's he's a 16th century tyrant. Yeah, just a uh, who also does magic. Yeah, he, he's a. He's, not like, ooh, look, flowers. Like, yeah. <laughs> like dark magic. Here's a quarter behind your <laughs> ear. Uh, yeah. He says he's a very powerful magici- magician. He's uh, a warlord. Um, and a warlock. And a, and a warlock. Um, <clears throat> and a creepy son of a bitch. That actor, man, he's so fucking creepy. Um, he, so, Janos... He's working on restoring um, Vigo's portrait one night when he is zapped by the portrait uh, and basically possessed by Vigo, who wants him to bring him a child so that at the stroke of midnight on New Year's, he can put his essence into this child and basically live Live again. Live again, yeah. Uh, so now Janos is like his henchman, um, his Renfield, if you will, 
Which is funny because he played Renfield in Dracula Dead <laughs> Loving It. Um, the guy who plays Vigo is Wilhelm von Holmberg. Yeah. I've only seen him in one other thing, and that he was one of the terrorists in Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that guy has a weird life story. Apparently, he's a professional boxer. Yeah, he was a boxer, and he had like a serious drug habit, and yeah, pretty sure he's dead now. Um, correct. Died in two thousand four. But he was voiced by Max von Sydow. Who's that? Uh, Father Mar- uh, Marin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, apparently, he was also a professional wrestler. I maybe knew that. I'm not sure. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, let's see. What happens next? So Dana keeps getting um, basically pursued by this pink sludge that was at the beginning. Um, and at one point, she's trying to give Oscar a bath. And she's filling up the bathtub, and shortly after she starts, or shortly after she turns on the water, this pink sludge starts coming out of the faucet and filling up the bathtub. Yeah, it keeps coming through the pipes. Yeah, it um, becomes like this goo monster and tries to eat her. She takes off and goes to Peter's, um, and send he sends ray and egon to go look at it um they take a sample of this slime and start investigating it um and i forget exactly how they discover the toaster well how because at one point they start digging under first avenue and i can't remember exactly how they got there what causes them to Start digging into the. Yeah, I mean, they the they find out that it's in the sewer. Oh, they were using the PKE meter, and they f- they find like a very you know large presence of paranormal uh, paranormal activity, um, and uh, yeah, that's when they resolve that they have to. It's really right outside the museum, so they have to start digging into it, and they pose as con ed contractors right. to start digging. Uh, and they find this massive river of slime, the the, the pink shit, um, that's just running underneath New York City. Um, so after taking a sample of it, they start testing it, uh, analyzing it, and trying to figure out exactly how, how it works and what makes it tick. And they find out that it is uh, empowered by negative emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah, like they, they have it in a jar and they first test it out by insulting it, which makes it bubble. Um, and then I can't remember if they just used some of that sludge or if they had another batch that they put into a toaster and they put on some music and the toaster starts bouncing. Starts dancing. Um, like the brave little toaster. Right. Um, so yeah, exactly what this means, they don't quite know yet, but they know that it is negatively charged and it, and it thrives on negative emotion and negative thoughts, uh, negative energy. Um, 
all the while, Peter is trying to kind of rekindle things with with Dana. Uh, they apparently didn't end very well. And Peter just being the schmoozer that he is, like trying to get back with her without really apologizing, which is a little problematic. I mean, when you, th- when you think about it in today's context, it's like when you think back, th- that kind of shit would never it's a little, fly. little gaslighty. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, at one point they're at dinner and, you know, she's raising a toast to him, calling him like, you know, the, the kindest, smartest man. It's like this guy, you know, he torpedoed your relationship and you're basically giving him a pass on it. Right. Just because he came, came back giving you the same song and dance. But, you know, I guess you just kind of want to believe that he's better now. Or he, he is better than he was, which doesn't really seem like he is, but... Um, so, yeah, they're digging, and uh, they get approached by the police and the real Con Ed track, uh, you know, boss or whoever. Um, Foreman. Yeah, and as they're trying to pull Ray out of the hole that they've dug, uh, he knocks out a, a power conduit and, you know, knocks out the power of several city blocks of, you know, downtown New York, <laughs> which is not... Great. Right. You don't want to do that. Um, so they're arrested, put on trial uh, by a judge who starts off the trial by saying the state of New York does not recognize the existence of ghosts or anything paranormal. And so, you know, none of that will be involved in this. You know, we will not... Con- You're basically saying that we're not going to consider you as legitimate ghost hunters or, you know, ghost busters. Were you not around five years ago? Yeah. Um, and uh, they choose Lewis to represent him, or represent them, probably because they're he's the only lawyer they know. I was going to say. <laughs> but he's a tax lawyer. He's, he's not right. a, he's, he has no knowledge of criminal proceedings. Um, and uh, he, got his, uh, he got his law degree at night school. Uh, which is okay because they were arrested at night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're being tried, and the judge is just la- like launching into them, just like berating them for being you know menaces to society and you know this and that. And they have this jar of this pink slime that every time that he's throwing off this negative energy, it starts bubbling. Um, to the point where it's about to bubble oil or bubble oil. <laughs> boil over is what I was trying to say. Um, and at one point there's this explosion and from, I think from the jar, right? Yeah. Two ghosts come out. The Scolari brothers, these two Muppet looking ghosts. <laughs> Just made me think of Muppet Christmas Carol when they're like, we're Marley and Marley. <laughs> Yeah, so they're just these, you know, floating ghosts, and the judge immediately recognizes them as two criminals that he tried for murder and then sentenced them to the chair. Um, And now they are going nuts and assault, you know, threatening the lives of everybody in the courtroom. And, uh, you know, 
the judge is telling the Ghostbusters, you got to do something. You got to do something. And, uh, bitch, you said we weren't real. Yeah. That's when Lewis says up or stands up and says, my clients are still under a federal, uh, um, restrainment order. Uh, they risk exposure. <laughs> Peter's like, and you don't want us exposing ourselves. <laughs> so that's when the judge says, okay, you know, I, I, I lift the restraining order. Um, and, uh, you know, you're free to go about your business as Ghostbusters. You're free to bust all over the place. Yes. Bust those ghosts right in their faces. Yep. Because busting makes them feel makes good. Makes feel good. <laughs> um, so they throw in the proton packs, and it's kind of, you know. That they just had. <laughs> well, they're, I, th- I think they had the Ecto-1, didn't they? I mean, they must have. That's, they must have, yeah. That's like their hoopty. <laughs> it's their only mode of transportation. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, yeah, so they, they've got their proton packs, which like, I feel like are not dealt with enough care. Like, you know, you know, like, like a bailiff or something were, was handling those. Like those are fucking nuclear accelerators. <laughs> the unlicensed ones that were made like in a basement. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so they throw them on. And, uh, you know, I, I got to imagine seeing this for the first time, you know, after five years. And five years since the first movie, it's like, all right, you know, Ghostbusters back in action. Yeah. And uh, which is the original title. Was it? No. <laughs> I think so. It was a joke. Okay. Um, so they throw on their proton back. Ghostbusters back in action. Would you watch a movie called fucking Ghostbusters back in action? I've watched other movies called back in action. Looney Tunes? Well, yeah. <laughs> Can you believe people say that's better than Space Jam? People are fucking stupid. They're fucking stupid. Like, I love Brendan Fraser as much as the next guy, but come on. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Pull your head out of your ass. That's what I said. I said, pull your head out of your ass. Anyway, regardless of what this movie was or wasn't originally called, regardless of what you think of Brendan Fraser, <laughs> yeah, they uh, they power on their proton packs, and Scolari brothers, of course, finally show themselves, and they do their thing. You know, one, something I never really understood about the Ghostbusters movie and the proton packs is like, so... Th- these are particle accelerators and, you know, they're shooting some kind of, you know, nuclear energy or something out of these things. And I don't know why they are attracted to, uh, you know, ghosts, um, for lack of a more technical term. Uh, and also why they are like lassos. Because it's like, you know, they, they spend all this time, like, trying to aim these things, which is fine. But, you know, they don't shoot in a perfectly straight line, but they more or less shoot in the right direction. So they spend all this time. Kinda, trying they're, to, like, all over the place, though. Once they get them, like, because, you know, you can see, like, all the time they're dealing with these, like, these dials trying to get their stream worked out. I'm starting to have those problems, too. Yeah. <laughs> Almost 40. Get, having problems with my stream. <laughs> getting old, bitch. <laughs> um. So yeah, they spent all this time trying to get these, trying to get these 
ghosts in their crosshairs. And then they finally do, like, the, the beam, like, wraps around them like a lasso. I don't, I never really understood that conceptually. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to pick it apart. It's just, like, I don't get it. Science. <laughs> Fucking science. <laughs> um, I, I could explain it to you, but you probably wouldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they do their thing. They get the, the ghosts, you know, caught up in their beams and then throw out the, the, the trap. And, um, yeah, and they, they come out of the courtroom and, uh, said, you know, we're the best, we're the only Ghostbusters. And now they're, they're back and we see the new, the debut of the new logo, uh, the go the, the ghost holding out two fingers, presuming that means it's like their second run is Ghostbusters. And, and his foot is out now for some reason. Yeah. It means he's being, he's. Or he's breaking through that that no sign. <laughs> um, yeah, we see the Ecto one's got a brand new polish, you know, look looking flies ever. It's got yeah. new new doodads and gizmos on it, right? It's got a LED board across the side mm-hmm. that says like now serving. Yeah, you know, hire us, and, you know, such and such number. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, yeah, we just get this other new montage of them going around town. Chasing ghosts, you know, doing what doing what they do, busting, busting, just busting all over town. It's make, cause it makes them feel so damn good. <laughs> um, and this is where we get the, the Bobby Brown song. If well, it's I up, guess we're gonna have to take control. We got, we got, we got. Bobby B. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah, and so they're they're just as busy as they ever were. Um, all the all the while, they're investigating, you know, this pink sludge and trying to figure out exactly what the hell's going on with it. Um, they uh, are not so quick to give up on this river of slime running underneath the city, and so they go back. Uh, they they trace back to it from an abandoned train line. Um, and as they get closer and closer, they start hearing more and more creepy sounds. And, uh, plus there's the whole Twinkie analogy. That was the first movie. Was it? I thought that was about the slime. No, it was the first movie. What was the Twinkie analogy then? Uh, they're talking about paranormal activity on a regular basis would be the night. Like say this, say this Twinkie is the normal amount of paranormal activity in this, in the city. Now imagine a Twinkie, you know, basically the size of like a city bus. I can't remember the exact dimensions he, he gave, but okay. I thought that was about the negative energy, but no. Um, yeah. So they rediscover the, the slime uh, and they're trying to take a, uh, a depth sample to see how, how far it goes. Winston gets sucked in. Uh, they, cause of course he does. Of course he's the fall guy. He's the red shirt. They uh, Egon and, and Ray jump in after him. They wash up at the end of the, presumably the end of the river, uh, climb up through a manhole uh, out in front of the, out of the museum, and they start just laying into each other. Right. It's like you because the slime not only feeds off negative energy, it also like creates negative energy. Yeah. And now they're covered in it. Yeah. Egon, you know, being the cooler head. Says, take off your clothes, take off your clothes. And they strip down to their to their long johns and 
They're like, what the hell just happened? And Ray's like, this is just pure evil. Like, it's concentrated evil, and you made us want to kill each other. So they track down Peter and Dana, who are on a date, uh, saying, you know, we got to... We got to do something about this. We got to go tell the authorities because um, all this this sludge is running right to the the um, museum. Um, the disturbance gets them arrested. <laughs> uh, this time, um, the mayor's crony, or you know, his assistant, his uh, played by Kurt Fuller, Jack Hardemeyer was his name. Woody. Um, Woody. Uh, he, uh, this time he gets involved and they demand, or I guess they demand to see the mayor. And when they're standing in his office, they're explaining that there's this giant river of, of slime that is making people hate each other and being, you know, it's feeding off the negative energy in the city. We need to do something about this. And the mayor's just like, what the hell am I supposed to do? This is New York, and it's every God given or it's every New Yorker's God given right to be a miserable prick. <laughs> um, and uh, so he leaves, and um, after he leaves, you know, uh, Hardemeyer says, "You know, would you before you guys go, would you mind telling the story to some of our people downtown?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, yeah, but we got to do this now." The people downtown are actually at Bellevue. <laughs> um, and so they're being psychoanalyzed by Brian Doyle Murphy. <laughs> um, Murray. What did I say? Murphy. Oh, I meant Murray. Um, so while this is going on, the paranormal activity in the city is becoming worse and worse. There are ghosts popping up everywhere. It's the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't understand why the mayor didn't just, like, grant them immunity or something. Like, Yeah, of, of all the people in the city who should be, like, at least listening to them, instead of walking in and be like, you got five minutes, you know, that kind of shit. It's like, you think it'd be him. Right, it's not like this is a new mayor. Yeah. <laughs> the same guy. It's the same prick. Um, so, while, this, while they're in Bellevue being questioned, the entire city is being overrun by ghosts. You see, Slimer makes a reappearance in, in the um, in the in the firehouse. Uh, you see zombie cab Taxi drivers. drivers yeah. uh, the Titanic finally docks. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and the dockmaster Cheech Marin is like, "Well, better late than never." Fucking <laughs> Cheech. There's a lot of those cameos in this movie. Yeah. Um. And. Uh, yeah, all the while, um, you know, Dana is at home with uh, with her baby, and you know, Janosch, being basically uh, Vigo's lackey, comes flying through the air as some kind of like spirit, dressed as like a nanny. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but he comes like flying through the air, dresses like this, like. 1900s nanny with a stroller he picks oscar up out of out through the window and flies away with him so dana instead of trying to get a hold of the ghostbusters who might be a little more knowledgeable about things like this she just runs down to the, the museum herself 
Um, and she's basically immediately captured and she finds out the whole plan that at midnight Vigo is going to put his spirit into Oscar and, you know, basically become Oscar. Uh, and that Vigo is given the okay for him to take her as his bride for, for Janos to take Dana as his bride. And she's like, uh, the fuck you are. (laughs) Um, so yeah, but as the city's going to hell, you know, you see the mayor's office, all of his advisors, all of his heads of heads of department, you know, the fire chief, the police chief, all these city advisors, all these people are like losing their heads. Um and at this time they've noticed that the Museum of Art is now covered in this shell of this pink slime. And you're know, saying we can't get into it. We don't know what it is and we can't break through it. Um uh, Ben Stein Um, and that's when the mayor comes in and says, Hey, you know, we need to call the Ghostbusters. And he's like, I just spent, um, uh, I just spent an hour in, in my bedroom talking to, uh, shit, what's his name? Something LaGuardia, former mayor of New York. Fiorello? Yes. Thank you. And he's like, he's been dead for 30 years. We need the Ghostbusters. And Hardemeyer's like, well, I had them committed. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, you're fired. Get Obviously. Me, yeah. <laughs> Get me the Ghostbusters. So they're released. They're put back, back on the job. You know, they're getting suited up as they're leaving the hospital. Um, and uh, they take off to the museum. Um, they try their, their proton packs to break through the slime, and it doesn't work. So they're trying to think of something else to do. He's like, I just, I think Ray has this breakdown. He's like, I just can't believe that there's not enough goodwill left in the city to, you know, help us here. Um, and I can't remember exactly how it occurs to them, but somebody's looking at the license plate on the Ecto One. Says we need a, a symbol, something that a people beacon, can, yeah. yeah, people, something that people can unite around. Um, you know, yeah, a beacon, a symbol of hope, a symbol of, of, of purpose, you know, um, and we see the license plate and it zooms in on the Statue of Liberty. So they take off to Liberty Island. They have these big ass slime launchers, for lack of a better term, <laughs> loaded with positively charged slime that they spray all over the inside of the statue. They go up to her crown. And they start playing, not it's not even Jackie uh, with Jackie Wilson. It's Howard Huntsbury. I don't know why they're playing a different version of the song, but I'm gonna assume probably a rights. But they played Jackie Wilson earlier in the movie. Oh, then I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean the Howard Huntsbury version is more of like an '80s '90s feel to it. Maybe that's why they wanted something a little poppier, I guess. Um, Yola. Has lifted me high. Ooh, missed that one. Than I've ever been lifted before. Um, Howard Huntsbury actually played Jackie Wilson in, I think it was La Bamba. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> um. Anyway, so did you ever watch uh, uh, the bitch in Apartment Twenty Three? No. You told uh, me I wouldn't like it, so I never watched it. Did I? Yeah. 
I don't know why I would have said that. Um, there's an episode where the the girl who's not Kristen Ritter, she makes like these new friends, and one of them is just like obsessed with La Bamba. It's like every time they do a movie quote, she quotes La Bamba. <laughs> what the fuck? What a random fucking movie. <laughs> I know. Um. Anyway, so they start playing the music, and the statue comes to life. Of course, it's all articulated like a human body would be, which defies logic. But, you know, again, this is a living statue made out of copper. <laughs> um, anyway, so they, uh, they start going, and like, they, they take it down into New York Harbor and walk up onto the shore and walk it right down uh, the street, or walk the statue right down the street da- to the museum. What? <laughs> the episode of 30 Rock, where um, Tracy was in the cash cab, mm. and the question was, like, what does Centennial mean? And he's like, I remember going to the Statue of Liberty Centennial, because that year someone had spread a rumor that she was going to slip out of her toga, and I wanted to see some green boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they, uh, yeah, so they walk to the, uh, they march the Statue of Liberty down this, down, uh, you know, probably some main New York street. I don't know New York well enough to know what street it was, but, um, uh, down to the museum, you know, with probably 34th could be that's where like Macy's is. That's where Madison Square Garden is. I don't know where the museum of art is in relation to everything. So I couldn't tell you. Um, anyway, so they're marching the statue down and all the while, you know, you know, they've got a police escort, you know, they've got New Yorkers lining the entire street, the entire, you know, both sides of the street, the entire way, cheering them on, you know, creating all this goodwill in the city. Um, you forgot to mention the Statue of Liberty walked through the harbor. <laughs> I said that. Did you? Yeah. I so said they walked her down into the harbor and oh. up on, up onto shore. Um, they get to the. And they're blasting the music through loudspeakers, right? Uh, they get to the um, the museum and they raise Liberty's torch and smash out the the window on the ceiling of the um, of the museum. Presumably, because like the slime like opens up. They don't really explain that, but I have to assume it's the, the, the positive positive energy. charge. Yeah, it just kind of splits it like you know water and oil or something. Right. Um, they, you know, repel down, oh, and that's, I guess, not really repelling. They just come down on ropes and they start. That's repelling. But they're not repelling off of anything. I don't know. I'm sure there's a term for it, but I don't think it's repelling. Anyway, um, they, uh, get down and they first off blast Janos with, with the slime and he's down for the count. Um, they have arrived just in time to stop Vigo from taking over Oscar's body, but for some reason he's still able to step out of the portrait. They don't really explain. It's a weird in between thing. Um, but they start. You know, he's he's making all these threats about being you know a badass or yada yada yada. Because they're still in like enclosed in the. The, the slime, so I assume that has something to do with Vigo's powers. I guess. Um, 
So they start hitting him with the proton packs and they blast him back into the portrait. During this time, or when this happens, Ray gets basically hypnotized by the portrait and is then... So they kind of teased earlier. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not super important, though. No. Um, <laughs> in the interest of saving time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Ray gets hypnotized by the portrait. He is, becomes possessed by Vigo. Uh, and that's when they start blasting him with the slime and uh, the proton packs until Vigo leaves his body. Um, and I can't remember exactly the, the sequence of events, but somehow he gets his hands on Oscar and is about to infest him, basically, um, when he starts, Vigo starts like kind of kicking around and like, like he's being hurt and you hear all this singing coming from outside and all the New Yorkers are out, outside singing all, all Lang Syne. Cause it's New Year's. Cause New Year's. Uh, and so all the goodwill. Is anybody been... here old? Are you acquainted? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, uh, yeah. So all the goodwill that's being generated by, by the New Yorkers, which is like what that happened like one time in history. <laughs> After 9-11. Um, all the goodwill being generated by New York, by the New Yorkers outside um, has damaged Vigo in such a way that he, I think he, shit, what happens? He gets sucked back into the painting. He gets sucked back it? into the painting and then, first we're doing the painting and the Ghostbusters are freed. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. I had it backwards. Vigo then possesses Ray. They use their weapons to free him. Once once he's defeated, presumably, uh, they find that the painting of Vigo has been replaced by portraitures of the four Ghostbusters in togas for some reason, <laughs> uh, all holding Oscar. That was a little hokey. <laughs> yeah. I believe it's one of the fettuccines. Um, and so, yeah, much like the first movie, we see them come out covered in schmutz. I love that, like, right as the like everything is happening, Lewis has shown up in his Ghostbusters. Guard, yeah. And he, like, blasts the, the building with his proton pack right as everything else is simultaneously solving the problem. Right. He's like, I did it. <laughs> I'm a real Ghostbuster. <laughs> um. But he didn't do it. It wasn't him. No, but just let him think that. Just let the little guy think that. Let him have it. Um, he so, got punched in the face by a random guy. <laughs> just let him have this one. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, much like the first movie, they come out and, you know, as the end credits are rolling, you know, we see them celebrating, you know, New York's cheering for them again, probably just to forget them all over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the end of the movie. Um, so there you go. And then uh, we get the Bobby Brown song again. Yep. Um. Oh wait, you know what? Early in the movie, it wasn't Bobby Brown. It was Run DMC. That's what it was. Which which one do they sing? Um, fuck, how's it go? 
I don't know. That's why I asked. Uh, hold on. It's just called Ghostbusters Rap? Probably. Oh, that's not supposed to come through there. Something's wrong. Do you remember this? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so let's go Ghostbusters 2, guys. This doesn't seem as well regarded as... No, not at all. Which I don't get. And like I think I said early at the beginning of the episode... This came out closer to the age where I was watching movies, understanding them, and picking out favorites. So, I don't know if this was the first one I saw, but it was definitely the one I enjoyed more. And I still enjoy this a hair more. I think as I've gotten older and started to kind of appreciate film more, um, it's kind of evened out a little bit, but I, I still... This one still has an edge for me. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like this movie gets like shit on by some people. Um, I mean, like, even people who are fans of Ghostbusters, they just hate this one. Uh, I definitely don't hate it. I hate is so unnecessary. There's no reason to hate this movie. No, um, I definitely don't think it's as good as the, as the first one or better as, as you think. But um, see, like that's 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 hard for me to separate out my feelings as a fan versus my opinion as somebody who reviews movies. Yeah. It's like, do I actually think it's better or do I just like it more because that's the one I, you have that nostalgia attached yeah. to it. Um, but no, I, I mean, I still think this is a good movie. Yeah. I think as a follow up to ghostbusters, it, it definitely has issues in that, they repeat a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, the end is basically, again, it's just them being heralded by the city of New York. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they'll probably just forget about them right. five days later when the Mets play again or something. <laughs> um, Nobody cares about the Mets. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, they did in the 80s. <laughs> uh, and then, what else were we saying they repeated? Uh, oh, like the whole thing with them getting arrested and yeah. having to fight the like I, again, it's a lot of fight the man stuff getting repeated. He's like we said, it's the same fucking mayor. Like you should know better, right? And they also they could have gotten around that by just having a different mayor. It's five years later. There could have been a different guy in office. Yeah. Um, but I mean, how long was Giuliani in office? Too fucking long. <laughs> About too <laughs> fucking long. Um, I mean, I, I guess that was before he was crazy though. Was he, wasn't he always crazy though? He's yeah, like, I mean, there's probably it was probably always maybe under the not, surface. Not old man crazy like he is now. Just <laughs> generally crazy. Yeah, as like a piece of shit Republican asshole. Yeah, who just like you know like to prosecute people who were probably innocent and like you know round up homeless people and move them somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think there were, there was some issues with it just kind of repeating a lot of major story points. Uh, I also think that the story itself is a little hokey. Um, the whole like evil slime thing, they kind of got away from ghosts. It just became more the supernatural yeah. element. But 
to that, I would say that if that if they were to just strictly stick to ghosts like they did in the first movie, you'd be making the same movie. You'd have even more instances of it yeah. repeating itself, yeah. So I, I see where you're coming from, but I feel like if they were to have done that, they would have just been making the same movie over again. Sure. Which, you know, you could argue, it's like, well, then why'd you make a sequel? But that's... <laughs> because money. Yeah, I mean, that, that's neither here nor there. The movie's already made. Right. <laughs> um, movie's 30 years old. Uh, but I mean, otherwise, you know, it's the same kind of comedy. It's the same Ghostbusters shtick that we loved in the first one. And I don't know why all of a sudden people are just like, no, I don't like it now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to pick it apart, like cinematically, you know, and artistically, it's like none of the characters have grown. I mean, they're basically the exact same people they were in the first movie. Peter especially, it's like you'd think he would have grown as a person at least a little bit, but he yeah. hasn't. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you want to see that character development in, in pretty much anything. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. And that, that, that drives the story is character development. So when you don't get that character development, then it's just like, well, why am I even watching this? Yeah. So to that point, I can understand why people would be thinking that this is just more of the same. But I don't know. Like, uh, it, it's hard for me to argue that people like the first one better. Or, you know, when people say that this one's not as good as the first. It's like, you know, teach their own, I guess. I like this one better. Not not by much. It was slim margin, but I like it better. Uh, what I... What I just do not understand is people who just outright hate this movie. Yeah. I don't understand how you can, how you like, unless you hate the first one, I understand how you can like the first one and not like this one. Yeah. I have no idea. I can understand having problems with it. I can understand not liking it as much, but to just be like this one, good, that one bad. Yeah, exactly. They're so similar. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, artistically, there's not a lot to pick apart. It's very similar to the first one. I mean, sh- you know, maybe some advancements in technology as far as, like, you know, the uh, the, the actual ghosts and, um, you know, the, the elements of the slime and stuff like that. You know, a definite, definite noticeability in, like, the five years of special effects advancement, mm-hmm. which isn't a huge leap. Back at least back in the eighties. Nowadays, definitely because yeah. you know technology advances so quickly. Back then, a little more moderate of an advancement, I right. guess. Um, but yeah, um, I guess I don't really have so much to say about this one because it is so similar to the original that I feel like I'm just repeating myself if I talked about a lot of things yeah. involved in it. Um, you know, this one didn't have as much uh, turmoil and, and stuff going on behind the scenes, aside from Bill Murray, who has been, who is notoriously difficult to work with. Um, this one and the, the original, you know, it was both, both of them were just like, is Bill going to show up to work? We don't really know. Right. Um, and that's just, I think that's just something that people have come to expect working with Bill Murray. Yeah. I mean, like 
Groundhog Day, apparently there was like such a rift between him and Ramus that they didn't work together again. They like they didn't even talk again until Ramus was on his deathbed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really glad they they were able to make amends yeah. before he died. If I if I would have known, or if they would have not been able to do that, and for me as a fan, not only of the of Ghostbusters, but as a fan of Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and the work they've done together. Uh, if I would have known that they were not able to make amends before he, before one of them died, that would have been fucking heart, heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so looking at the, the critical response here, I see Richard Schickel uh, was critical of the glut of sequels in 1989. I don't know how that's their fault, but uh, Ghostbusters 2 offered only slight variations over the original without further developing the characters and had a shamelessly similar ending, which, you know, we addressed that. Uh, we're as smart as you. Um, we got there on our own. <laughs> yeah, we just didn't see it as big of a problem as you did. Yeah. Uh, Gene Siskel called it a poor copy that offered nothing new as though they were filming the first draft of a script. Uh, Dave Kerr of USA or, and USA Today's Mike Clark uh, said that making it more mature made the film feel tired and lacking in surprises. They said the first one had succeeded by projecting childlike fantasies onto adult characters who snubbed authority and bonded in a clubhouse, but by taking a surreal comic fantasy and adding humanity to the central characters, the sequel had become four Ghostbusters and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> that one's hard to argue with. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, this one, like... <clears throat> uh, I still feel like it had, like, the same vibe, though. Yeah, no, it didn't It didn't feel like some... I mean, you know, it was all the same people working on it. Like, it had same writers, same, same director. director. So it had that similar feel. Um, whereas, you know, you compare, the, like, the first two movies to Aftermath. Or, or not Aftermath, Afterlife. It's very clearly somebody else making that movie. Mm-hmm. Um with the same kind of heart in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, like, like I said, it's it's really hard to argue with people when they say this one's not as good because I, I can understand their positions. Um, like I said, I, I understand all these criticisms and I think they're valid, but at the same time, it's just not that big a deal to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the thematic analysis... Analyses, I guess, would be correct. Um, positivity versus negativity. <clears throat> you know, that was a pretty obvious one. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, that was <clears throat> just this the um, the negativity amongst New Yorkers just being assholes to each other, versus you know the end where there's all this goodwill going throughout the city, um, fatherhood, which is definitely uh, a theme. You know. Talking about Peter not really growing as a character, maybe that's not entirely true because it did seem like he was kind of. Um, there, there's a point where he's alone in the room with Oscar and he's saying, "You know, I could have been your father." Uh, I think, you know, you know, kind of having that little heart to heart with an infant. Um, so in that respect, I think maybe he does mature a little bit. Um, and then politics, which, you know, I think politics have been a, uh, big part of both of these movies. 
Anyway, um, since its release, Ghostbusters 2 has been labeled as the film that killed the franchise. You know, saying that about a movie that's just because it doesn't make as much movie or as much money, that's silly. Because, you know, you put that stigma on it. Yeah. It's the studio doing it. It's like, oh, well, this didn't make as much money, so we're not going to do that anymore. And then people just say that. It's like, oh, this is the movie that killed the franchise because it didn't make enough money. It's like, well, you didn't go to the theater to see it. (laughs) And, I mean, how often do sequels make more money than the original? Like, Rarely. Digital Spy defended the film as being as good as or better than Ghostbusters. Said the plot of the Ghost of Ghostbusters Two is arguably better executed than the first film, with multiple threads coming together in a seamless third act with a positive ending that works better without with modern audiences. That's the other thing is if you like look at it as a standalone and not a sequel, <clears throat> then you don't have all those complaints of you know no character development and re- repeating plot points. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean that that's a good point made is that there are so many different elements of this movie that all come to a head at the end. And it's like it's like they were all incorporated rather than being, um, you know, multiple things that were unrelated throughout the film. And it's like, oh, suddenly this is all coming together. And it's like, well, what does one thing have to do with the other? Yeah. Um. So and that, yeah, so I think that's a good point. Um. Better executed. I mean, aside from that, then um, I think that's a matter of opinion. Um, yeah. Anyway, so this is the movie that spawned Ghostbusters, you know. Even though they say this is the movie that killed the franchise, this spurred the real Ghostbusters. It uh, opened up a fucking cash cow for was it Mattel that made all those goddamn toys? Real Ghostbusters started in 1986. What? I could have sworn it started after the second movie. First episode aired September 13th, 1986. Oh, son of a bitch. Hmm. So you're wrong. <laughs> Fuck me, right? Um, well, whatever. I just remember so many fucking toys coming out after this movie was released. <clears throat> you know... I mean, aside from real Ghostbusters, which had its own huge line of toys, mm-hmm. you know, you get like 20 different versions of the Ecto-1, and, you know, it's like so many different, you know, combinations of like Ghostbusters and Slimer. It's like, even though Slimer wasn't a big element of either movie, you know, he was a primary character in real Ghostbusters, and so he just kind of became like this de facto mascot almost. Right. Um. Anyway, 
So yeah, this is just so much marketing that spawned off of this movie, which, you know, maybe it killed the film franchise, but it sure did a whole hell of a lot of good for the uh, toy industry. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, okay, let's uh, wrap this up. Um, since we're edging on two hours here. <laughs> I'm edging. Ugh. Oh my God, it's nine o'clock. Uh, yeah, I need some food. Some yummums. You need some yummums. Yeah. Um, seven. It's okay. Um, I gotta give it a nine. All right. I'm gonna give the first one a nine. I don't think it's better and better enough to warrant a ten. Obviously, that would be silly. That'd be silly. But I'd walk out of here. <laughs> I would flip this table over. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Um. Okay. Well, let's talk about the new one. Let's do it. Ghostbusters Afterlife. You're great mom. I don't know. I'm fine with Trevor. But with Phoebe, she really keeps me on the outside. That's normal. She's an awkward, nerdy kid. Maybe a new home can be an opportunity to start fresh. I just wish she'd get into some trouble. There's still time. What are you doing here in Somerville, anyway? We're completely broke. And our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. You went with the station wagon? It's the only one that had an engine. What is happening here? Somehow, a town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Maybe it's the apocalypse. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Oh, my God. You guys hear that? Something's coming. The whole city took the walking dead. All right, so Ghostbusters Afterlife, brand spanking new movie, just came out a couple weeks ago, right? Or is it even that long? Week ago, two weeks. Uh, August twenty third. No, that was (laughs) no. Sorry, that was a uh, 
That was the, the first official screening. That wasn't theaters. Uh, November 19th. This was a movie that got fucked up with COVID, though. Because this was supposed to come out, was it last year? Or earlier this year? I think it was earlier this year. So we had to reschedule it twice, I, I think. There's a part in the movie where they talk about 2021 being like a prominent factor. So I was like, good thing this didn't get delayed again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had to delay this because we had this episode planned for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then it got delayed. And I think we had to delay it twice. I believe you're right. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do it. Because I've really been looking forward to this. It was originally scheduled to be released July 10th, 2020. Okay, because, yeah, last summer sounded... Yeah, it was delayed right. to March 5th, 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, on October 21st, 2020, Sony pushed the film once again to June 11th, 2021. Then later in January 2021, shifted the release to November 11th, 2021. In September 2021, the film was once again delayed to November 19th. Fuck. So this, it's it's almost a miracle that this episode happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... Like I said, we'll, we'll kind of tag team this one. Um, this movie is directed by Jason Reitman. Actually, co- co-written and directed by Jason Reitman, who, of course, is Ivan Reitman's son. Uh, Ivan Reitman uh, produced it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this takes place 32 years after the events of the first or of the second movie. Um, I do want to comment on that right off the bat. The second movie is almost all but ignored in this. Yeah, like I I know one of the Reitmans. I don't remember if it was Ivan or Jason, but they've said that part two is canon. Right. But there's no mention of the events of the part two in it. And like the, the Ecto-1 in this one looks like it does in the first movie. Yeah. It's missing all the extra bells and whistles that we talked about being added in the second movie. I mean, it's missing a lot of just parts in general. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got the the original logo. Mm-hmm. Um, the original license plate. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so... This opens up, it's kind of a cold open. We see a mountain in the distance. And suddenly we see this very familiar explosion of light, a very familiar sound. We recognize it as the as a proton pack. Um, and it, there's this cloud in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just swirling around above this mountain. All hail. <laughs> um, and then we see somebody. This is all very shrouded in, in darkness. See some a man get into a truck and just take off. Yeah, just tear ass. He blows through this gate, which we see the, where he was was an old mine, uh, old mining camp. Um, and just flying down this rural country road, um, and, uh, he makes it into this quaint little town and he's flying down the, the, you know, you know, 
squealing through the streets of this town. Um, and he finally pulls up into this this farm. Um, we see something on the seat next to him too that's like got a flashing light. I think it's beeping or something. Yeah, and he pulls back the bag or whatever it is, and we see that it's a it's a trap. A, yeah, it's a trap. Yeah, a ghost trap. I feel like they use a term for it, a mobile containment unit or something like that. Mm, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh. So this man, and it's like, you know, it's, it's pointless in trying to dodge this. You can tell that it's Egon. Do they they try for the most of this movie to like be cheeky and be like, maybe it's like like maybe this family is the Spanglers. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. And then it's like we all know it is. Yeah, it's like who else would have a fucking curly haired grand granddaughter that wears round glasses? Yeah. Just, they like go out of their way to not say it, and it's like we fucking know. Yeah, it's a, it's about halfway for, through the movie before they finally reveal that this man that they're talking about is Egon. Yeah, and that the family is the Spanglers. Because at one point she even like starts to say her name and then stops. Right. Um. So yeah, this man like obviously is not Harold Ramis because he's been dead for what five years. Um. But. In darkness, this guy sure looks a lot like him. I don't know who it was playing him, but I'm wondering if they like CGI'd his face. Could or be 20, um, 2014, so seven years. Okay. Um. So he gets to his farm, and he was six two. That's a big guy. That means we are the same height. That, that is his neat. <laughs> Are you 6'2 or 6'1? I'm 6'3, actually. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so he uh yeah, he, he must have been injured or just being an old man, he's kind of limping towards the, the porch of this old farmhouse. Um, and as he's he, he gets to the porch and he throws this big ass switch, which ignites these transformers out in the out in the yard uh which basically spark and we see they these... look like big silos or something but yeah they get elect electrics on top that all kind of connect to each other and make this grid of power transformers but, but they look like silos is what i'm saying sure um and uh we can see underneath what looks like sown land you know, something that, that where seeds have been planted, see this glowing and this misting coming up from the ground. We start seeing this invisible presence start to make its way across this earth, like you know, this area that we're talking about. And as it gets about halfway across, Egon stomps on this pedal and things start to ignite, but then fizzle out and he's trying to stop, you know, get it going again. And it's just not working. So he bails inside. He digs out the old PKE meter and it immediately lights up. Um, and, uh, he just sits down in his chair or no. So he hides the, the ghost trap. Mm hmm. Um, Under the floorboards. 
it doesn't show you exactly where you hit it at oh, this I guess point. That's true. Um, it's just like it's because the shot is from inside wherever he's putting this thing. Anyway, so he um, hides the ghost trap and he sits down in his chair and he's got the PKE meter and the you know the little arms fold out when there's you know paranormal presence nearby and the arms go down. So he thinks he's might be in the clear, but then suddenly they shoot up, and you see this mist of. Um, they go like straight up too, which I they, yeah I've never, we've never seen them do before. And there's like a there's like a charge in between them, yeah, like a taser or something. Lo- it looks like one of the proton packs, like the same kind of coloring. Oh yeah, so maybe he modified it to be like a mini proton proton, pack. proton taser. Yeah. Um. Because the character actually does use it in that in that way later in the movie. Yeah. Um, behind him sneaks up this mist, and at the top of this mist is a very familiar looking head. Uh, you see, it's one of the one of the terror dogs. Um, and then it disappears, and then suddenly all these arms, very similar to what happened to Dana when she gets sucked into. Into Gozer's palace. When she basically when she gets possessed by Zul, this chair has several monstrous hands just sprout from it, and Egon, be gone, be gone, <laughs> be gone. Um, jump to Callie. You, you once were a vegan, but now you will be gone. <laughs> vegan. <laughs> Uh, we jump to Callie. Uh, Trevor I'm going, going back, back to Callie, Callie. Okay. <laughs> uh, and Phoebe, uh, who was this New York? This I don't think they ever said. It's some city. Yeah, it's definitely a city. I mean, like like a metropolitan area. Yeah. Uh, have to presume it's New York because that's where Egon's from. Um, they get evicted from their apartment because you know Callie is not working or, or or whatever, and you know not getting any child support from her former from her home, former lover. Um, so it's at this time that they catch when or that she finds that her father died and like like taylor said at this point they're not explicitly saying that this is egon referring to it as her father you know yada 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 mm-hmm. not saying any names and throughout the movie in this town where this farm is he's referred to as the dirt farmer yeah because dirt farmers got family because <laughs> his entire farm is dirt and it's, on like his three barn, different characters say dirt farmer had family yeah and if like if that wasn't bad enough then on his barn is just dirt, dirt, you know, in big yellow spray paint. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, like the landlord knocks on the door and she answers it and she's like, I haven't had a chance to get the money, but like, don't worry. I just came into a bunch of money. I'm going to pay you what I owe. And he's like, as soon as you leave, I'm changing the locks. Yeah. Um, So So they drive to Oklahoma? 
Yep. That's a hell of a fucking drive. That is a hell of a drive. Yeah, it's road trip. I mean, assuming it's New York, which I think, I guess we are at this point, but. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they drive to Somervale, uh, Oklahoma. Is it Somervale? Is it not? I thought it was Somerville. Oh, it might be Summer, sorry, Somerville. I think you're right. Uh, they drive to Somerville, Oklahoma, uh, and find this just run-down, dilapidated house. And Callie, you know, she's looking as, at this to be some kind of nest egg, you know, basically be able to sell the house, sell the property, sell everything inside the house, and, you know, make some money to provide some kind of living for her kids. Uh, but they get there and they find that not only is the house a piece of shit and the land is worthless, but there's nothing of any value inside the house. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but there's no personal effects like no pictures she's like callie's visibly upset that there's no pictures of her anywhere yeah she's already considered her dad a, a deadbeat who left her mm-hmm. you know when she was a child um never called never tried to reach out nothing um as far as as far as she knows she does she has no idea who her, her father is <clears throat> um and uh anyway so but they decide that they have not necessarily that they want to or, you know, think they should. They have no choice but to try and make the best of it. And to stay there. Yeah. So the kids get enrolled in school. Actually, I guess Trevor doesn't, which no. is weird because he's yeah, seven. I don't, he, he's 15. He's 15. Yeah, he says he's 17, but he's 15, but he doesn't go to school. Well, it's summer. That's right. Summer school. Yep. Um. Anyway, so... Sh- Phoebe's going to summer school, though. Yeah, she's going to like a summer science camp or something. It's like a summer science school. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. I thought she was just going to summer school for, you know, fun. No, it's some funsies. kind of like special science program, but all they do is watch scary movies. Right. Which reminds me so much of like, you know, if you ever had to go to like Saturday school or, you know, <clears throat> study hall or anything, anything outside of normal school. <clears throat> yeah, do like unless the teacher was really ambitious and had some kind of like actual lesson plan scheduled, you just sat around and you watched movies. Usually, like I mean, like I only had detention a handful of times, but usually it was just like sit and do your homework. Yeah, like, they didn't even show a movie. It was just <clears throat> yeah, I guess detention. Sit, sit quietly. Yeah, yeah. Don't fucking bother me. <laughs> uh, and I mean. I think it probably happened more often when you had like a substitute. Yes. Just like, all right, well, just watch this movie that has probably nothing to do with your actual lesson. Right. <clears throat> or journalism class. Journalism class was like, here's how to formulate a headline. Here's what paragraphs look like. Here's six months of movies. <laughs> <laughs> probably Let's watch not- Empire Records. That's what we did in my journalism class. We watched Empire Records. Nice. I say probably not. And coot- Princess Bride. <laughs> what does that have to do with journalism? I don't know. Not a damn thing. <laughs> uh, it's probably not Cujo. Not, and, not and Cujo play. or Child's Play. <clears throat> um, I love that he doesn't hide it either. He's not like doesn't you know try to make up a different story about. It. He's like this is about a killer Saint Bernard. Yeah. He being uh, Gary, Gary Gruberson, Gruberson, played by the indomitable 
played by the sexiest man alive. It's hard to argue, man. He's, he's, Is it? He's a good-looking guy. <laughs> but sexiest man alive? Dude, if I was a straight woman or a gay man, I'd be into Paul Rudd. I'm not disputing that. But I'm t- disputing sexiest. Well, you I mean, if you go with like the actual sexiest man or sexiest person or whoever every year, it's going to be the same person over and over. And then you just, there's no point. Brad Pitt. Is he still? I mean, he's kind of old. I don't know. I haven't seen him in a while. I don't even. I'm sure he probably still looks good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not like a crippled man. He's he's not like Benjamin Button. You know, on Always Sunny, uh, the Always Sunny podcast, Glenn Howerton was talking about how uh, Brad Pitt set the bar for what men had to look like, like what <laughs> male actors had to look like in Fight Club. Mm. And I was just like. Is that like, did you walk out of the theater and just be like, well, that's the new standard? <laughs> um, I kept waiting for Rob to be like, yeah, that's why I did this. Gary Gruberson. Yeah, so he's he's a, a geologist. Seismologist. Seismologist who's investigating these weird happenings in Somerville. They are not, they don't, they're not any near any volcanoes. They're not on any fault lines. There should be no reason for them to experience earthquakes. And there's no fracking, which is weird because it's Oklahoma. Right. But this town is experiencing an earthquake on almost a daily basis. And so he's there trying to figure out why. Whether it's in any official capacity, it's not very clear. It just seems like it's kind of just a hobby. Yeah, I mean, if he was there on an official capacity, I'm not sure why he would be teaching summer science camp. Secret identity. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Trevor, is he's got a job at a local Greasy Spoon. No, it's not Greasy Spoon. That's a, more of a it's diner. diner. Well, it's, it's a, like, it's a drive-thru drive, burger drive place. Drive-in. Yeah, drive-in burger place. Um, Trevor yeah. is Finn Wolfhard. Right. Um, and man, does he wolf hard in this one? He just wolfs so hard. He's wolfing just, just wolf up or wolf out or whatever it is you do. It's <laughs> wolfing horde. 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 <laughs> oh, God damn it. <clears throat> uh,. So he's yeah. also he's got the hots for the girl that works there. Yeah, lucky, lucky. Um, yeah, like you said earlier, he lies and says he's seventeen, right? Um, and on his resume, under experience, he put friendly with a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So Phoebe, who's you know who's a legitimate genius, like she has like genius level intellect, like her grandfather. Um, She's obviously not amused by watching fucking Cujo and Child's Play instead of doing the science that she was promised. I love like when we're first introduced <clears throat> to her, she's like fixing the electricity or something in the house. And she's like so condescending to her mom. Yeah. She's just like, I'm good at this. You're good at other things like quesadillas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's Phoebe's played by uh, McKenna Grace, who you could have seen in any number of movies um probably amongst our crowd the annabelle movies i think um 
but in this movie, she's like unrecognizable. Yeah. Cause she's got like pretty she on you know, on in normal circumstances, she's got like this long blonde hair. And this it's short, curly, and brown. Like like if you were to look at a side by side picture of her, and, and she's wearing glasses, of course. Um it's like it looks like a completely different person. Yeah, like other things I've seen her and she kinda looks like Kieran and Shipka. Sure. And like this is like, yeah, not at all. <laughs> I think she played actually young Sabrina. Oh, there you go. Um But uh anyway. So yeah, she kind of makes nice with Gary because she obviously presents a very scientific mind that, you know, Gary takes interest in. Uh she also makes friends with this goofy kid in her class. Uh, who goes by podcast? Fucking hate this kid. He's a little obnoxious. He's fucking very obnoxious, and his name is Podcast because he has a podcast. That's stupid. That's lazy, right there. Look, Podcast. Sometimes, if you have a podcast, you just want to be called Podcast. It's kind of like how people call call me Podcast. They call you Podcast. Nobody fucking calls us Podcast. <laughs> they call me Podcast One. They call you Podcast Two. If anything, I'm Podcast One. <laughs> You know, like podcast feels like something condescending someone would call you if they only know you as that guy who has a podcast. Well, it's like, but he calls himself podcast. Yeah. He gave himself a nickname. Yeah. She's like, how'd you get that? Or how'd you get the name, nickname podcast? He's like, well, I call myself, call myself podcast because I have a podcast. And this kid is so fucking annoying. He, so it's like they told him to be Ray, but. He didn't quite know how to do it. Because that, that that's one thing that kind of bugged me a little bit about this movie is that they tried to recreate the Ghostbusters with kids. They, you know, they've got Phoebe, who's, you know, spitting image of Egon. Sure. We've got Trevor, who is very Peter, or very, very Venkman in, in that he's kind of aloof and kind of smart, kind of a smart ass. Then you have podcast who's very Ray. I mean, he doesn't yeah. have the the intellect that Ray does. Um, and then you have Lucky, who is not only black but also has very little idea of what's going on, but just kind of joins the team to help out. So you've got the four original Ghostbusters recast as children, and I I feel like they didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Also, but podcast, like, he walks up and he's like, she sits alone, blah, 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 blah. And he's, like, narrating to uh, um, Phoebe about what Phoebe's doing. Yeah. Like, if that was my first impression of someone, no way am I becoming friends with that person. <laughs> I'm like, get away from me. Don't ever fucking talk to me again. You're fucking weird. I don't like you. Your name is podcast. Go away forever. They Don't re- fucking look at me. <laughs> and they, like... I, I can say that even though I didn't care for the fact that they tried to recreate the original characters, they did make him look enough like Dan Aykroyd. I mean, even though he's like a little Asian kid. You know, yeah, but like the hair. Yeah, the hair, the way he dressed was very reminiscent of Ray. Uh, and, you know, he always carried around that microphone, mm-hmm. which looked very much like when they're investigating the library at the beginning of the first movie. Just that whole getup was very Ray. Yeah. So that I could appreciate. 
Um, not so much the whole package, but um, <clears throat> anyway. So yeah, they start, uh, or you know, Gary gets Phoebe interested in these uh, seismological. Is that right? Sounds right. I mean, if it's seismology, it seems like seismological would be yes the apt term. It sounded more correct when you said it. So, <laughs> <laughs> just one like one of those things. You like you need somebody else to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah, she he takes an interest in her because she's showing interest in in what he does. Um. And meanwhile, Trevor he's out investigating the barn. At, at this farm. 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 Um, he sees something. Actually, I guess he originally starts looking out there at, at night, right? Something calls him out there. We kind of get, we, we start to get the uh, inkling that Egon is, his spirit is still mm-hmm. at, at the farm. So I think, if I remember right, so, something leads him out to the barn and we find this thing covered, this big thing covered in a tarp. He starts to pull it back, and right as we get a glimpse of the Ghostbusters logo on the back of the Ecto One, goes black. So we only get like a quick look at it. Um. So apparently, Trevor's a gearhead. Even somehow, he learned how to work on cars living in an apartment in New York. Um. <laughs> But he starts fixing up the Ecto-1. Um, Phoebe starts getting led around the house by Egon's ghost, um, who we don't see. And she still doesn't believe in ghosts at this point. Right. Um, she first gets... She first kind of has her first uh, experience with, with Egon's spirit when she sets up a chess uh, a chessboard and the next morning one of the pawns has been moved right uh so she moves a counter or she she does a counter move and comes back and another counter move has been made and it just kind of goes from there um egon's spirit starts le- leading her around the house uh unveiling kind of secrets that he's that he has that's where we find this you know like one of those puzzles that you move the pieces mm-hmm. around um, and it unveils the little hiding cubby where he kept the the uh, the trap, the ghost trap. <clears throat> so naturally, she brings it to school to show the podcast, and Gary sees it, and he's like, "Oh, what a cool replica!" Because even though not once but twice the Ghostbusters saved New York City, uh, apparently they've just kind of disappeared into obscurity. As we said, right? Because um, the Mets, right? <laughs> um, and so yeah, Gary's like, oh man, back in the eighties, the the these they say four physicists, but I think the only physicist was Egon, because well, weren't they all working at? I mean, not Zedmore, but the other three, they were working at Columbia. They were working at Columbia, but no. Um, Venkman is a psychologist. Yeah. I don't know. And, and 
Ray works with Egon, uh, with uh, Bankman. I don't know. I mean, one of them has to be a physicist because some of them, somebody designed the proton packs, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, she finds the, the ghost trap and she shows it to Gary, and you know it starts to leak out some kind of, you know, um, para, you know, psychokinetic energy. Um, and he's like, wait, is this real? And so they take it out into this, into the parking lot, hook it up to a bus's car, you know, a bus's battery and open it up. When it opens, it explodes with the the essence of one of the terror dogs, which yeah. kind of looks like a smoke monster, yeah, it's it's a different form than we're used to seeing. But the the head is yeah, you know, perfectly recognizable. It takes off like a bat out of hell back up to the that mining mountain, mm-hmm. which can't be good. Um. Now I got to start dodging spoilers. Which, by the way, right at the beginning, we're in, we see that the mountain is is Shandor Mines or my Shandor Mining Company. Yeah, which of course, which, is, if you remember from the first one, Evo Shandor. Right. Um, yeah, we find out that Evo started his all the selenium he mined for those girders in Dana Barrett's apartment building he mined from those from that mountain yep and then he started working for the daily bugle and he needed pictures of spider-man right. <laughs> uh uh ivo is played by um jk simmons thank you um who needs pictures of spider-man hmm? who needs pictures of spider-man right naked <laughs> um yeah so phoebe goes from like i understand like seeing is believing but she goes from i don't believe in ghosts to like becoming a ghostbuster like real quick yeah because she goes down in the basement um i guess she discovers this basement yeah egon's spirit leads her down down a, f- a fire pole which so there's things like that in the movie that was basically just fan service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. But, but wouldn't make sense. Like, Egon didn't even want the firehouse. Why would he put a fire pole in his barn? Yeah, why not just have steps stairs, going down? Yeah. yeah, hidden stairs, something. Yeah, then she's, like, downstairs, and, like, the light is, like, moving to tell her, like, what to look at and stuff. And she, like, real quick is just like, oh, Grandpa's ghost. Yeah. She's like, how did you build a mini collider? Oh, or, right. or cy- genius. Cycloscope. And he, the light points towards like all of his fucking PhDs on the wall. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so. But she's able to repair the proton pack. Right. Trevor gets the, uh, the Ecto-1 up and running. They find out that in 
in this mine, Ivo Shandor basically replicated the same thing that he created in the apartment building in New York mm-hmm. in this mountain. And that Egon was single-handedly preventing this from coming true. Where at one point Phoebe calls Ray because the Ghostbusters phone number is still active. There's apparently the number for Ray's Ray's cult books. She says, do you know Egon Spengler? Did you notice it's the big red phone too? Yeah. And Ray says, Egon can rot in hell. Um, And then he goes, he explains that, you know, at some point he... He started going crazy and saying, you know, that there were there's the impending end of the world, and just in the middle of the night, he took everything. He took all of their equipment, took the Ecto one, took the Ecto one, took all of their power cells, everything, and just disappeared. And so he's obviously on all of their shit lists. Um, but we find out that Egon was fully even though nobody else believed him he was basically this single soul sentry keeping gozer at bay because gozer was basically on the verge of coming forth again in this town in Oklahoma um yeah and he he built this device that basically has like four proton packs that whenever Gozer tries to escape, they power up and fire back in. And that's what's causing these earthquakes. Yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty creative not it's not really a machine so much as like an alarm system that he set up. Basically he hooked a PKE meter up and it looked like it was maybe like a large PKE meter mm-hmm. that he created. And he wired that to whenever that would go off, the proton packs that he strapped to these four pillars would create this unified beam at the middle of this pit where all these spirits were trying to escape from. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, those that's where all those earthquakes were coming from. Um, missing anything? Is there anything you can add without spoiling it? Um. No, not really. Okay. Well, I mean, so just the basic gist of the rest of the movie is that Phoebe and Trevor and Podcast and eventually Lucky all kind of try to unite to prevent this basically apocalypse from happening. It's very similar to what happened in the first movie. And yeah. kind of... <sighs> Phoebe mainly kind of posthumously discovering who her grandfather was, where she comes from, and kind of what 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 she has to do. So, um, and that's 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 basically the movie. I mean, there's there's more to it that we can't really talk about without spoiling it. So, uh, what do you think? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um. I've seen kind of mixed reviews. A lot of people really like it. I've seen some uh, people shitting on it. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's good. I 
like you said, it, it definitely it, you know has a lot of the same issues that part two had, where it's just kind of repeating plot points. Yeah. Um, I hadn't really thought of the like them recreating the, the same characters with different people, mm-hmm. but w- once you said it, all of a sudden it like clicked in my head. I was like, that's that's exactly what they're doing. Yep. Um, and not necessarily but, like the same characters, just the same traits, archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I mean, overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was it was a good continuation of the story. I thought it did a good job of, um, kind of taking mostly part one, like we were saying, part two is basically non-existent in this one, but kind of taking that story and bringing it into the, you know, the 2021 timeframe without just being like, you know, 30 years later and then having the old ass Ghostbusters going out there and doing something. Yeah. Um, We'll We'll say all the Ghostbusters make cameo appearances. Annie Potts plays a, a role as well. Yeah, and actually that's not so much a spoiler because when they first get to the house, the farmhouse, she shows up. And she doesn't really go into like her Was history. Was she fucking Egon? See, that's confusing because they were... They seemed like they were kind of a thing at the end of the first movie. Well, yeah, when she first shows up, she was like, I was your father's friend. Yeah. And then... In Ghostbusters 2, she's fucking Lewis. Right. But in real... It kind of seemed like like she wanted Egon, but he didn't really reciprocate so much. Right. But then in real Ghostbusters... But that's not canon. No. But I do believe the video game is canon, according to Dan Aykroyd. Really? Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. I've never played it, so I don't know. Me either. I know Shandor is in it. Yeah, I knew that. Um. Whatever. Uh. Yeah. There's some things in here I really wish I could talk about. I just can't. Um. But they they do do a lot of fan service. Do do. <laughs> um. A lot. Yeah. Especially the soundtrack, which started to get annoying. So it's kind of like they went, "Well, we have these four tracks." <laughs> From the from the first movie, they're like, okay, let's only use those for everything. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't distracting to me, at least. Like, it didn't take away from the movie. It's just kind of like, eh, because you know, I, I I was watching this with two minds, watching it as a Ghostbusters fan, and also watching it as, you know, talking myself up here, but a film critic. Uh, just and trying to make sure that I wasn't crossing the streams. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, so, as a fan, like I said, there was a lot of fan service, but I didn't find it um, tiresome. No, I, I didn't either. Um, it wasn't like ham fisted. Like sometimes there's fan service where you're just like, oh god, okay, yeah, we get it. Like yeah. like from the first one. Yeah, but yeah, no, I thought it was. Not subtle, because it wasn't subtle, but it was used in a way where it wasn't overpowering, it wasn't distracting. Yeah. And so they set this up in a way to what we've talked about. Every time, before this movie came out, every time we talked about there being a continuation of Ghostbusters, of the original storyline, 
a passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. And that's more or less what happened in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that respect, that's like exactly what, I mean, I won't, won't speak for you, but that's exactly what I wanted. Um, because, you know, those, those guys are in their 70s. And you know, like, yeah, I don't need to see old ass septuagenarians yeah. running around trying to save New York again. Exactly. Um, and it, without getting into too much detail, it set up exactly what we talked about. And I can't remember if it was our idea, if it was something we saw from something else and just kind of elaborated on it. But it set up this premise where there is... Are you talking about the post-credits scene? Yes. Okay. Where there are going to be... Franchises. Franchise, an expansion of the Ghostbusters brand. Um, even the even the production company that this is operating under, Ghost Corp. It, like, it, I mean... It, that, it's Dan Aykroyd trying to make his own MCU is what it is, but... Well, I mean, Ghost Corps, that they, as far as I can understand, they are basically controlling everything Ghostbusters. Right. Movies, TV shows, uh, toys, all of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they solely exist so that Dan Aykroyd can have his own MCU. <laughs> um, so, in that, in that respect, like, I can't complain about any of it because it's exactly what I wanted. Right. Um, there's there's a moment in this. This is completely unrelated to what you're talking about, but it's just something I want to get out there before I forget. Um, and I don't think it's intentional at all. But when uh, Phoebe first goes to the, the summer school and Gary Gruberson is introducing himself to her mom, he's like, most of these kids aren't very smart. <laughs> right at that moment, this kid walks by in an Oklahoma City Thunder hat. I was like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> now, was it me... Or did they not say where Somerville was right off the bat? Like what state? Yeah. I think they did. Did? I think so. Okay. I must have just missed it then. I could be wrong and I'm just like, I know where it was. So, but I, I think so. I think it said Somerville. I, mean, I don't think it said like there was no like text on the screen that said Somerville, Oklahoma or anything, but I know. I don't remember when they would have said it, but I, I feel like they did say it right away. Yeah, they filmed. This was all filmed in Alberta. Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, as far as the region in in North America, it's basically right where Oklahoma would be. Yeah. So I guess the the just middle the of the scenery country. would be very similar. I would assume, but you know, just further north, you'd think it would be a little more cold, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think I just have this like mentality where. Anywhere but Vancouver is just like this frozen tundra. <laughs> um, we do get a new Slimer type ghost. His name is Muncher. Muncher. Voiced by Josh Gad. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Did you recognize who played Gozer? Yes. It's Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde. Uncredited. Yeah. So Olivia Wilde, or sorry, Gozer has three different actresses representing her. You have Olivia Wilde basically doing her like on-screen presence. You have, shit, I forget her name. Um, 
Shore, ah, I'm going to butcher this, Agdashlu, who she's, I don't, I don't know her exact nationality, but she's Middle Eastern. Um, you probably recognize her if you saw her, but she does Gozer's voice. She's got a very, like, raspy, smoky voice. Um, so they probably didn't even have to modulate, <laughs> modulate it at all. Uh, and then Emma Portner, who is a, a dancer, if I am not mistaken, when Gozer is in like a CGI form, which it's hard to explain without really getting into the, the details of it. There's a point where Gozer... Kind of in between. It's kind of like an energy. Corporeal. Yeah, and, yeah. and very flowy and kind of dancey. And, and so Emma, Emma Portner plays her in that form. But yeah, as far as like the actual face on screen presence is Olivia Wilde, but yeah, completely uncredited. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, I personally I really like this. Yeah, I I had so much fun watching it, and while it didn't really for me recapture that same feeling that I get watching the originals. It came pretty close. I see so many people like comparing it to Stranger Things, and I'm just like, that's so lazy. Like, you're only comparing it to Stranger Things because it's kids and it's Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. Like, tonally, this is nothing like Stranger Things. No. Story-wise, nothing like Stranger Things. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, somewhat, yeah, because there's supernatural stuff going on. There's, a, you know, monsters or ghosts, whatever you want to call them. But, like like I said, tonally and just like um, the, the whole feel and vibe of the show movie nothing like stranger things at all right um i can tell you though as somebody who has been watching ghostbusters for as long as i can remember the movies real ghostbusters that was my shit when i was when i was little um i even watched extreme ghostbusters when they when they did like a sequel series you remember that Mm mm-hmm this is a sequel series to real Ghostbusters. Um, I watched all of that. I have been watching it my entire life. Two things in this movie gave me like this visceral reaction. The first time I heard the proton pack fire up. The first time I heard the Ecto-1 siren. Yeah. That like, like when, when the first time they turned on the siren, I got goosebumps. Yeah. Like it was, it was that. It was like I at the core for me. I hadn't worried it was going to be different until it started. And then all of a sudden I was like, thank God it's the same siren. Yeah. Oh, that would have been a tragedy if yeah. they changed that. The the one fan service that really stands out to me that kind of made me be like, oh, groan. Uh the kids get arrested. Which again, <laughs> we're we're repeating plot points. Yeah. Uh, but Sheriff Bokeem Woodbine, uh, Phoebe's like, Don't I get a phone call? And he goes, who are you going to call? Yeah. I'm like, oh, you did the thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ugh. which if I'm not mistaken, they never say in the movies, right? Uh, it's only in the song. No, he does say it. Or Venkman says it in, in the second one. Does he? Okay. He's like, sometimes shit happens. And who are you going to call? Oh, okay. In the whole courtroom. <laughs> um, they never say it in the first one. No, but it's in the song. It's in the song. Which, by the way, the song is not in this until the end credits. Right. Which, Which I, I kept waiting for. That's fine. Like, I mean, in the in the first two movies, it's only in the credits. Is it? Uh, sorry, they, they play it at the beginning of the first movie. 
Yeah, during the opening credits. Yeah, but aside from that, just the end credits. Yeah, yeah I mean, at least also they were just like, nope, Ray Parker, write the check, whatever the fuck. We're not having Fallout Boy cover it. That's bullshit. <laughs> yep. One cover, uh, you, you've probably heard it, I because mean, I've used it for bumpers before. A cover that I really liked was Walk the Moon. They did a cover of it, and it, it's very true to the original version. Not like that Fallout Boy version no. that was in the 2016 movie. No, it's, but you see, I think it's from this. I think it's from that album. But I swear it's in the movie. Like I still haven't seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure it's in the movie too. At least during the end credits. The Fallout Boy one. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I think the Walk the Moon one is from that movie. Maybe not in the movie. Maybe just on the soundtrack. But music inspired by <laughs> maybe. Um. You know what I really like is the mashup of Ghostbusters and Bad. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, it was on the soundtrack. I don't know why. I don't know why they had two versions of the song. But, yeah, guys, I mean, I, I like I said, I've used it on bumpers in the show before. Um, usually when we've been talking about this movie... Like leading up to the release, every time we had a news, uh, real, uh, every time we had a horror business story about this, I think I've used uh, that "Walk the Moon" song. Um. Anyway, yeah. yeah. As, we, as we alluded to before, there are there's actually two. One is mid credits, and then a post credits scene. So make sure you stick around. Did. There were like there, there was me and Kristen and like three other people in the theater for that last scene. Everybody left. Yeah, people stayed for the mid credit scene and then left right after. Like the house lights came came partially up and then everybody left. It's like I I think there's probably going to be something else. I didn't know for sure, but I was pretty sure. Like, hasn't Marvel taught you anything? Yeah, just because there's a mid credit scene doesn't mean there won't be a post credit scene. Yeah, it's like you can't. It's almost becoming like essential to have some kind of end credit scene or some kind of stinger at the end for a franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one, the mid credit scene is is whatever. Yeah, the one after that's that. fan, that's fan service. Yeah, the one after that, the one that everybody left for, that's the important one. Yes, and that's one people I think people are going people who like this movie and are hoping for sequels. This is going to be the one they they're kicking themselves for not sticking around for, right? Um, but won't go into it. But make sure you guys stay till the end of the credits. Um, yeah. So I mean, God, we're oh my god, this is gonna be like a four hour episode. Good thing we didn't do horror business. Oh shit. Um. So yeah, let's. In summing up, um. I went into this a little concerned that they're going to be trying to basically just recreate the same movie. Mm -hmm. It had some of those callbacks. Most movies like this do. But like I said before, it wasn't distracting. It wasn't grown worthy for the most part. There were a few things. Um, And overall it did like in order to continue this series in the best way possible 
I think they did exactly what they needed to. Yeah. Um, I'll give it an eight. Um, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, there are definitely, once again, they're kind of repeating plots and plot points from the, the first two. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like, maybe that's just what Ghostbusters is. <laughs> but, you know, also you're in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So you're not in New York City. So there's there's changes to it yeah. that make it, you know, kind of just different enough. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It, it's It's that passing of the torch story. That we said, you know, if they want, if they're going to try and continue this franchise, then that's what they have to do. And it's, you know, Ghostbusters is the kind of story where you you can have that passing of the torch, and it's it's an organic thing. Yeah, because um, you know, three movies now have shown us the world needs Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, I it, I assume there's going to be a sequel. I would like to see Oscar in the sequel. That's what I would like to see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm. I think an eight as well. Cool. All right, guys. Well, man, hopefully you stuck with us. This is a long, long episode. Even though it was supposed to be, we. Were, I was. I was in my head. This was going to average out to be a typical length episode, but yeah, it went went pretty long. Uh, but thanks for sticking around. No one's going to listen to this shit. <laughs> um. Yeah. I had fun. Go see Ghostbusters, man. It's, it's a great movie. And if you have kids that you're trying to introduce to things that you liked as a kid, take them to see this. <clears throat> and yeah, our, I mean, the, the people on Facebook that I've seen that have kids that have taken the kids to it, I've heard that the kids really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, probably referring to our buddy Jason. Jason. Yeah. yeah he's, he's got a daughter who's, you know, 12, 13-ish. Is she so that old? Maybe a little younger. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but... Regardless, you know, she, just from things that I see him post, you know, he's getting her into the horror realm, kind of easing her into it, and <clears throat> she seems to be taking to it quite well, and uh, it sounds like she really enjoyed this movie, and, you know, being a, a young girl, really identified with Phoebe, who is a very smart, empowering girl, mm-hmm. so that is another I, that's probably something we could have touched on, but just didn't really get into we it. Shouldn't touch on you, little girls. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, so cool. Um, that's gonna do it for us here, and finally wrap up this <laughs> real long night. Um, we're gonna be back in a couple of weeks, wherein we'll be talking about what. I'm so excited for this. Finally, gonna be watching last night in Soho which I fucking love Edgar Wright, so I'm very excited about that. Plus, Black Friday <laughs> with Bruce Campbell and Devin Sawa. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, both movies. Really looking forward to them. So. Yes, sir. Even though they have nothing to do with each other. No, but if a movie has Bruce Campbell and Devin Sawa, you fucking watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, duh. Um, cool. So look out for that, guys. Uh, in the meantime, Taylor, where can people find us? They can find us at... I almost said Ghostbusters. <laughs> I wish. I wish we were At Ghostbusters. Ghost, we have Ghostbusters.com. We fucking got it. <laughs> Squatted on that shit for years. No, find us at GraveBlotPodcast.com, as well as wherever you listen to your podcast, except Spotify. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe, if that's a thing you can do wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, help us get 
the word out there. It's been eight years and still people nobody knows who we are. <laughs> um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore Plot. Patreon.com slash Grave Plot Podcast for exclusive content. And of course, GraveplotFilmFest.com for all your Grave Plot Film Fest wants, desires, hopes, dreams, and tickets. Buy tickets. <laughs> Buying tickets is good. <laughs> Money spent is good. All right, guys. Uh, so until we talk again, I'm Skeletoni. I'm Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside.